Hey, this is Chuck Dixon, and you're listening to Signal of Doom. Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. I'm in. Hello and welcome to Signal of Doom. I'm excited to announce we have the legend Chuck Dixon in attendance. Chuck, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's fantastic. It's uh, early morning in Florida over there, am I correct? Yes, it is. Yeah, and you've come in uh, right on midnight, uh, Sydney time. And uh, obviously, for <laughs> listeners, I'm David. I'm here with Richard as well. Rich, how are you going? Hello, everybody. Now, my first question to you, Chuck, to kick this off. Firstly, thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule to uh, chat to two guys in Australia. Um, how's your post-apocalypse going, Chuck? Uh, our post-apocalypse here? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I don't know. Uh, You're okay? Different than yours. Uh... <laughs> we, we've been locked down, Chuck. We're, we're coming out of lockdown actually tomorrow. Um, we've been in lockdown for I don't know how long, a few months, I think. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, we, we, we see a lot of that here, and it's very dismaying to see yeah. our, our Aussie friends uh, oh, yeah, I know, in but... that situation. I'm, I'm in Florida where, you know, like, you know, we're, we're encouraging public displays of affection here. I mean, it's just <laughs> wide open. I love it. <laughs> um, now, Chuck, we, we've brought something into the show, I think, since the last time we've had you on. And it's been too long, by the way, Chuck, to chat to you. Yes, it has. Yes, yes it has. And that's on me. And my apologies as well, Chuck, because you are the... No, pat- we're always talking on Facebook. We are. So... I know. I'm very chatty as well. <laughs> um, but uh, first question is, Team Betty or Team Veronica, Chuck? <laughs> um, I feel bad for Betty. But, you know, Veronica's got all the cash. She does have the know? cash, yeah. She's a gal about town. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm partial to brunettes anyway. Well, so. There we go. So that's a vote for, for Veronica. Okay, that's the yes. second person who's voted for Veronica. Now, <laughs> Chuck, uh, since I think we've last had you on, you've expanded really ambitiously into webcomics on Arkhaven Comics with Arctoons. I, yeah. I wanted to ask you, how has that experience been for you and what's your feedback been like from readers? Uh, well, we're, we're, we're well above 2 million views now. We've only been around a few months. Uh, so it's encouraging and, uh, <clears throat> it's a slightly different medium. Um, mm-hmm. some of the artists want you to write pages for them like a comic, and then yep. we adapt that digitally. And then some of them are happier to do the screen by screen storytelling. And, uh, that, that's been a different experience for me, I but, bet. but, uh, I've enjoyed it. Well, I was going to so. say, um, when I'm looking at it, because I've been I've been reading some of them, and I I always had a lot of fondness for that Avalon comic you did, which is also mm-hmm. up there. But I also really got into something big, the one about the aliens. <laughs> yes, that's that's a gem of a story. It's really and it, you know what it reminds me of when I'm reading it. It reminds me of the old school comic strips of the newspaper, like the Phantom and stuff we had in the newspapers here, where you'd read right. a little section, like maybe five panels, and that would be it for the day. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 pretty much like that. I when when we initially started, we had more screens mm. uh, each episode. So to me, it was kind of like a Sunday comic strip. Mm. Uh, but then we found out that the the viewers actually like the shorter episodes, which which is counterintuitive when you think about it. But they the 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 the, the uh, stories we have that have the shortest episodes are the most popular invariably. That's really interesting, and I imagine um, they must study the. I mean, I don't know if you get involved with it, but like the views and the analytics and all that, it'd be very interesting sort of like um, mechanism. And as you say, over 2 million views. So that's really going, 
um, going yeah. gangbusters. And I will mention this in the show notes. I'll put the links to um, Arkhaven Comics in the show notes. Now, I believe, Chuck, that I saw the other day Radio Boy. I believe this is one of your first ever comics, and it's now available on the platform, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was a one-shot manga parody I did in the <laughs> 80s. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, I own it. Yeah, why, why not yeah. put it up on Arctunes and, you know, certainly perfectly adapts itself to the digital medium. That must be a trip for something that you did like so long ago to sort of dig it up and put it on this. And you see readers who, I mean, I'd never heard of it, you know, but like it's it's fun. Like it, I'm just really glad that this is going so well for you. Um, yeah, well, we, we fooled a lot of people with it. I mean, I had a couple of people at Arctunes say, is this a real manga? And I said... <laughs> I said, sound out the name of the creator, and it's Hawaii Nice to Meet You. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Chuck. A sense of humor. You've always had one. Now, uh, Richard, you've got some questions uh, about Chuck breaking in? I just, yeah, I just had a question. So, uh, last time you were on talking to Dave, you, you sort of mentioned breaking into comics, you know, at the exact moment of the, the DC implosion. I'm, ju I'm just curious, as a, as a kid, what, was, what were the books that you were reading that sort of got you into? comics that sort of made it a passion and also when you were trying to break in what were the what were the with the creators or the the runs that were really lighting a fire under you to want to break in to the comic industry well um <clears throat> when i first started reading comics and i was reading comics before i could read if you know what i mean, I mean <laughs> yeah. uh, you know four or five years old you know that's the benefit looking of at the pictures you know and uh i really got into uh it was the pre-superhero marvels the, the the you know the big monster books you know mm -hmm. strange tales and tales of suspense i really dug them and then you know i liked the look of batman you know oh. uh and and then you know as i got older i got, I got very involved with spider-man I, I, I it's like the first comic i really fell in love with and and fantastic four as well um, oh, as far as a, at the time I was trying to break in, um, in the seventies, I mean, the, 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 overall quality of comics was kind of down. Mm -hmm. Uh, so my favorite comics, this is early seventies at that time were, uh, DC's war titles. Oh yeah. Uh, like they were, Rock and they were stuff carrying like that? the flag. The quality was super high on those mm -hmm. books. I mean, they're, they're some of the best American comics ever done. And, uh, particularly that era, the early seventies. And then uh, I was reading a lot of Warren comics, you know, Creepy and Eerie. Oh, that's cool. Like, yeah, um, yeah they're, they're, they've got such a good reputation. I, I remember um, when I was growing up, a lot of those war comics were always cool. Like, they were, they were always readily available, those war comics. There was lots of them back in the 70s yeah. and early 80s. Like Sergeant Rock and all that kind of stuff, Chuck, yeah? Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, the, the period where uh, Joe Kubert, you know, who I think is fantastic mm. when he leaves Sergeant Rock and Russ Heath takes over as regular artist mm. and sometimes writer. Uh, those the, the comics don't get better than that. They're just absolutely gorgeous. Richard, Richard was saying on the show, I think last show, that it, it's a shame that DC don't do more with like a Sergeant Rock and all that other stuff they had because it was cool, you know? Yeah, I, I don't think they know what to do with it. Uh, well, I, some of them might not even know what it is. Know which end of the gun the bullets come out of? Right that <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so, some of them are like Sergeant Who, and it's like you realize you need hundreds of comics. Like <laughs> um, now, Chuck, I wanted to get your take because obviously, um, you know, over the last say few years, you've you've really gone in a few different directions. And what do you think of this Substack idea? I don't know if you've heard about it. It's a newsletter program uh, platform that's reached yeah. out to multiple comic book creators for, I think, digital comics, and they're, they're saying six-figure sums for some of the DC top-tier talent. Um, 
it, it's it's mind blowing. Um, has this something that's crossed your radar at all? Yeah, I've heard about it. I haven't really looked into it. Uh, I've been too busy on our own digital platform yeah, to really yeah, think about it. Yeah. Uh, I just so, think you know, there's only, only so many hours in a day. Well, <laughs> Chuck, I mean, you are the master in getting uh, the, 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 you know, the content out. But I'm thinking they must have mislaid my email address and phone number because where's my six-figure deal? You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm available. <laughs> um, now, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, uh, I, I like the I like the sound of the six figure deal. That's I, that's <laughs> the part that I'm enjoying too, Chuck. And and believe you me, if they come out with five, I'll probably say, you know what, I'll do it, guys. You know. <laughs> and I, I signed up for one of these guys' free newsletter. Chuck, I will say this: I've complained about it on the show probably the most boring stuff I've ever read in my life. I was reading one of these newsletters, and I was going, "Why am I even reading this? Like, I don't care." Like, it was like. The guy got up, he thought about what he wanted to do, then he started talking about all the different search engines he uses, like use on the internet. And I'm like, I don't care. Like, right. why would anyone pay for this? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I felt ripped off and I was getting it for free, you know? <laughs> you wanted your money back. Yeah, I'm like, I want a refund. Um, now, Chuck, I do want to mention the novels. Um, first one up, Bad Times, Army Rangers Travelling Through Time. I love this series. The characters bounce around from Roman times, revolutionary France to prehistoric. Uh, it's my kind of world. Has there been any comic book or TV or movie interest in this one, Chuck, in the Bad Times novels? Um, every once in a while, Sylvester Stallone talks to me about Bad Times. <laughs> wow, okay. He, he, really, he really likes the series. But, it's a great um, series. The, you know, the budget and all that would be, uh, you know, Huge. that's a hard one to sell. Animated, you know, Chuck. I feel animated. It would do really well. You know, that's it's entirely possible. Mm. I mean, it, it's out there. I've heard from a you know not just Sly, but a, a number of other producers. You know, inquiring about it. You know, do you own the rights? So, yeah, I own the rights. Yeah, you do. So yeah, and I, and I have to thank you because the audience that Bad Times has in Australia is entirely because of you <laughs> mentioning it. I am very, <laughs> I am very passionate about it. I really, really like the series. Now, I did want to mention um, Levon Cade, obviously a great um, vigilante series also. Um, I know the last time we spoke, I think uh, Sly Stallone uh, had purchased the option or something. How is that going? Have you heard any news out of Hollywood? Well, um, <clears throat> what happened between me making the deal with Sly and today yeah. is uh, wokeism oh. and COVID. <laughs> so COVID yeah. kind of stopped all production on it. You know, he, he kept on writing. He, he wrote a lot of episodes of the series. Yeah. Uh, uh, but then with wokeism, oh, yeah. it's harder and harder to introduce a new character. That's uh, they wanted. They want to do. Hollywood's very much interested in reboots and sequels and remakes. Uh, yeah. And now it's reboots and sequels and remakes with you know race swapping, gender swapping, sure. and all the rest. So you know, uh, Sly's been very upfront with me that mm. it, it's a difficult sell now. Where it wasn't two years ago. And that sucks because, mm. and you're still doing the novels, yeah? The novel, you're up to about Oh, yeah, seven, yeah. Right? I, I just uh, completed the 10th one. It's it's wow. with the editors now. And I do want to say to, to listeners, like, um, believe on Cade ones. If you like Chuck's, like, Punisher, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, your kind of action, Malu, it is such a good read. And what I like about the Chuck is each one, it's kind of like, same character, obviously, and with the daughter, but almost like a little bit of a genre change each time, like in a different setting. You know, one time he's over there and kind of in, in Iraq, and another time, I really like the one that's in the snow. Um, yeah. You know, I like the way it bounces around a lot. Like, I, I really do believe, like, 
I know with COVID, like a lot of productions have sort of shut down, but a lot are waking back up. So I hope that some new life comes into that. Um, I did want to mention yeah. as well, um, and forgive me if this is something that's dead. I remember that we spoke about the seven deadly sinners, and I wanted to know what fans are on Facebook looked really cool. Was there any progress on that on that comic book? Yeah, there's a there's a publishing company called Phenom, mm. uh, and it's all been completed. And I'm waiting to hear, you know, about a release schedule. It's going to be released as a, as a single volume graphic novel. That's fantastic. Uh, so, you know, everything's done on it. Um, mm. You know, the, the only thing that needed to be done was coloring. And Phenom picked up the tab on that. So, yeah, it's completed. And we're just waiting to hear, you know, when they plan to release it. All right. Well, let me know when that comes out. because we'll Oh, absolutely. We'll yeah, I'll, I'll have it all over the place yeah, once it's out. I know you will. I must say, Chuck, that you really embraced the uh, YouTube movement and, I don't know how many subscribers you've got, but you, you've done quite a lot of those Ask Chuck Dixons now. You're up to about 70 or so, aren't you? Yeah, I just I just recorded, my, I think, my 81st one the other day. It's the only reliable way to get out to people now because yeah. social media, you know, with all the algorithms and gatekeepers and shadow banning, it's yeah. it's a lie. Uh, social media is a lie. You can't even reach your friends. Well, uh, I, YouTube I, I, is a I, little I, less restrictive. I had a question about that for you. Like, um, I noticed that you have that YouTube channel. Like, how how important is that? Because it must be very freeing being able to uh, be able to set like records straight, especially with people like uh, uh, that idiotic Kevin Smith, who's always running <laughs> his mouth. I've noticed. I think you've corrected him twice now on your yes. on your YouTube uh, channel. You know, uh, I mean, it must be really um, a, a, a blessing, like a boon, to have that sort of platform where you can say well this is the real story yeah it's it i i can use it in the same way i used to use my old message board which is basically to brand name myself uh and it um yeah setting the record straight and telling the stories and the responses have been great and when we first started arc tunes they told me that the all the early most of the earliest adopters on arc tunes came right from my youtube channel so it worked you know, yeah. I was I was getting to people. Well, it's a direct it's, line to you. What it's, it's about. I mean, you've got to self-promote now. There's nobody to market you. So I've got to market myself. Mm, exactly, man. Like uh, It's one of the reasons I'm here. I'm getting outside my own neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Way definitely, man. outside my own neighborhood. You're getting, all, you're getting all the way to Sydney, Australia, and the Australian Network, and uh, putting exactly. the juice in the machine. Exactly. Now, um, we did uh, we, just the episode we've just done. Um, we did a sort of Chuck Dixon uh, focus, and it is impossible to encapsulate even a smallest part of your career, Chuck. When I go to the Wikipedia, I'm like, oh, my God. Um, but, we, <laughs> but we did select, it was my selection, Justice Riders. And, Rich, you've got some questions about Justice Riders? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've just got the one question. So I'm just curious because I was actually quite surprised um, with um, the characters that was in it. You know, when I heard Justice Riders, I just assumed it would be, you know, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman as like cowboys. But when I was reading it, uh, I noticed that it was actually, uh, I, I guess, the Justice League of that time, which would have been like sort of the 80s, 90s, which was your Booster Gold, Blue Beetle. I mean, is that the reason why that was the makeup of of the team is because it was, I think you did at the end of the 90s. Yeah. And I think yeah. in the 90s, that was pr primarily the group. I think Wonder Woman was leading the Justice League at the time. Was that the reason or did you just want those characters? Well, it was proposed to me by the you know the, the then Justice League editor, and he ah. said if you could if you could keep it to the, uh, the the lineup 
the, the, the current lineup of JLA. And and I wasn't I was fine with it because I, I couldn't imagine Superman in a Western. That made no sense to me whatsoever. Mm, uh, be kind of fun. And then I, I proposed I proposed, you know, follow ups with uh, a Flash centric and a Batman centric Western in the same universe. But we never got any further with that. But, uh, that's uh, was yeah, but that, was, that was the reason for the lineup. Well, I, I, I was really glad for that because I, I thoroughly enjoy that. that. That's probably like one of my favorite Justice League is the, the Booster Gold, Guy Gardner, uh, Blue Beetle sort of stuff and all that. I, I And so I was quite happy and it was a fantastic read. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I was, it was a blast to write. I love Westerns. So yes. It was, I was going to say, Western. Chuck, you're a huge Western fan, aren't you? Like movies and everything. So I can just imagine that was like your cup of tea. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> now, I have a question, and I mean, I'm sorry if this is getting into the weeds, but um, I have a Hawkman question because I actually really like Hawkman. I think he's a badass. I love his design. In that story, um, this is something that came up on the show. Are, are we to assume the Hawkman in that Western is from Thanagar, like the alien planet, or is he just some Native American guy who has hawk wings? Because this was something that was keeping me up. I, I just thought of the, he was a Native American guy. Which so, wings? You know, okay, that was, right. The hawk was his totem, and uh, he just became a hawk man. No, okay. I like it, Chuck, and thank you for answering my question. These are the kind of things sure. that, 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 that make up signal <laughs> content. You know, I should have my own well, you know, There's always something in the writer's mind that never makes it to the page. The reader <laughs> never knows about That's exactly <laughs> right, yeah. And um, I was listening. I wanted to get your um, take on this, and... Um, this is my words, and I do want to put up front that I do like this writer, but I was listening to a comic podcast recently, and one writer uh, was asked what their main takeaway from the Scott Snyder DC writing workshops that he does was, and their takeaway was plot cohesion doesn't matter. Now, as a pro- <laughs> yeah, now, you're laughing, I was laughing. As a pro who wrote for DC for so long, what is your reaction to that? Like, you know, as a writer, what do you think? Well, I'm laughing to keep from crying. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, I've run into these kind of writers all the time, especially toward my later years at yeah. DC, where it was like, well, I'm all about character, not about plot. Yeah. Uh, so in other words, you're a lazy son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because plot takes work. Coming up, imagining characters and just building them and everything else is nasal navel gazing. It's it's not moving a story forward. You've always got to be moving a story forward. You've got to have things happen. You know, uh, I would rather, and that's that's been a, a problem in comics. So many of the stories are about the character mm. instead of a good story with the character in it. And I prefer a good story. I mean, you mentioned Levon Cade and how mm. each one is different. Mm. That's, that's on purpose. Mm. I don't want to retell the same story all the time or spend an entire book delving into, you know, what keeps him awake at night. Sure. Um, so I wanted each book to be a surprise because they're, it's an entirely different plot structure and format and everything else. And with different things going on in different locales. And, and that's the work of a writer. Just sitting, making characters up and moving them around and going to breakfast with them is not it's interesting at all to me. Well, it's almost like it's not a Johnny Mitchell album where they're just talking about their feelings. You know what I mean? Like stuff has to happen kind of thing. I, I mean, it's common to make fun of like the Mort Weisinger era of Superman. Yeah. Uh, and those comics were silly. But once you started reading one, you had to finish it. You had to know what happened next. Mm. And that's they did the heavy lifting. They yeah. came up with the plots and the crazy situations and the resolutions and all the rest of it. They just didn't make the stories about, you know, Superman missing Krypton every issue. No, you're right. And it's yeah. funny when you read that old stuff, how much 
story they get through in one issue that these days would be like, oh, we're going to do seven or ten parts of that and really string it out. Whereas back yeah. in the, you know, back in the day, they really sometimes some of the stuff we do on Signal, they they have less than twenty pages up sometimes, and they yeah. get it done. And you know, they don't. Well, spend I, any time. I, you know, at one of my last my my last bat summit, one of the kinds of writers we're talking about who mm. like character over plot. Uh, he said, we, we're going to set up this character that we're going to kill, uh. and uh, we need like four or five issues to make her sympathetic so you care when she dies. Right. And I said, four, four or five issues? <laughs> I said, give me four or five panels to yeah. make you care about that character. Yeah, I was going to say, because I, I want to also, uh, sort of a follow-up question, because to put that quite in context, um, the way that it was structured was, well, when I say that, I also mean that if you make the readers care emotionally, they won't care if the plot doesn't make sense and jumps around. <laughs> like, that was the rationalisation. And I'm sort of sitting here going, I've read some of his stories and liked them. How weird that this is the advice. You know, like, it's just yeah. odd. Um, I don't know. I just, I don't, I, sometimes I, I don't quite understand what the what they're doing, you know, like, well, I mean, to, to be fair, they said that was their takeaway, not necessarily what he said. Well, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. But it was just funny that, that that was what that person took out of it. And I just wanted to get Chuck's uh, opinion that's on it. Bad. But, but I will say this about you, Chuck, like you're all about plot, but I've noticed having read a lot of your comics that you actually are really good at dialogue, like snappy dialogue. Um, is that something you've always been good with? Yeah. Dialogue is, um, uh, <clears throat> My main inspiration for dialogue is like Hollywood movies of the 30s and 40s. Right. Uh, the, the way they would use the dialogue for a lot of different purposes to build character, to move the story along, mm. you know, make you laugh, you mm. know, uh, add resonance to the story, things like that. And um, uh, w one of my favorite directors is Howard Hawks. And he said that when he was in re meetings with writers, the question he would ask over and over and over again, is there a better way to say this? Mm. And if you're a writer and you're not asking yourself that question a hundred times a day, then you're not doing your job. So it's always like, you know, this line could be better. Yeah. You know, but you, you don't want to be too on the nose. You don't want to be too cute. You don't want to yeah. be too clever. Yeah. But you want to make sure that dialogue moves the story. I'll, I'll use an example. You know, um, the characters, Harvey Bullock and Renee Montoya, the way you wrote them and their, their banter back and forth. That's yeah. what I'm talking. Like it moves the story. We did a, we did a, we did a comic with one of them just the other day. And you're right. You don't need four or five issues to build it. It, it a page almost, you know, just their no. banter as they get out of the car, they go to the body, yada, yada, yada. And we're sort of there. Um, yeah, I, I, on one of my Ask Chuck Dixons, I, I basically do a uh, an autopsy on yeah. um, an opening sequence of the television show Monk. Oh, yeah. And how in one minute and 58 seconds, the writers make you care about this character you've yeah. never seen before. And at the end of that one minute and 58 seconds, you are so distraught and saddened by their death. Mm. Like, like you've known them for years. Yeah, and it's like, that's that's what I aim for. That's that's very interesting. I, a show that I like to watch um, with my girlfriend is Law and Order SVU because I think that they have a. I mean, it's a formula, but it's a formula right. that works. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, obviously, it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, I. It draws so many times. I'm wandering by, and I hear that, Doo -doo, and then I'm drawn in, and I'm still sitting there 45 minutes later. Well, I want to know what happened, you know. And I don't right. consider myself a giant fan of the show, but it does draw me in almost every time. 
Yeah, because they've got no time to set everything up and make you care, but they yeah. but they manage to do it. I mean, that's that's a well-oiled machine, and then they they're all about the plot because yeah. there's not a lot of character development on that show. I mean, no. I, you don't see those characters at home or anything like that. No, there's there's barely there's in later episodes there's some tiny stuff they string together, but it's very very small. Like it's not what you're there for. Um, Which you have to respect because, mm. you know, the show's been on so long, they could get lazy and yeah. start making, you know, quote unquote, very special episodes sure. where they start, you know, delving into the characters' private lives more because yeah. they've already got you. But they don't do it. And yeah. I, I respect that. I don't want to see Ice T at home, you know, like mowing yeah. the lawn or something. <laughs> yeah. Arguing with his wife. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, now, Chuck, uh, something that um, I was preparing for for this uh, interview was I've been reading The Nam, which is one of my um, favourite comics from back in the day. And for those who don't know, The Nam was an excellent comic in the late 80s and early 90s from Marvel about the Vietnam War through the eyes of the soldiers that were shipped over there. Now, Chuck, I think it's a great book, and you had a very good run on the title. I was wondering, did you actively pitch for The Nam? It just feels like such a natural fit for you and... What kind of research did you do for the title? Were you thinking of movies like, for example, Platoon at the time? What was your kind of approach? I I, um, I said no over and really? over and over again because yeah. Doug Murray was leaving the book and the editor said, I want you to write it. And I said, no, I, I'm not a Vietnam vet. Doug was in Vietnam. Mm. Uh, I'm not a, find a, find a Find a Vietnam vet comic book writer. And like, well, the only other one is Larry Hama, and he's mm. too busy on G.I. Joe. Mm. Right. And, uh, and I said, I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't feel right about it. And, and so my editor said, well, we'll talk to Larry. You work with Larry, ask him his opinion, tell him, tell him your reservations. So I called Larry on the phone and told him my problem. And he said, um, he said, no, he says, you'll do the homework. And I said, he says, and I know you'll respect the subject matter and, 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 and portray the American soldiers, you know, honestly. And, uh, so with his blessing, I did it. Uh, and my artist, my most regular artist was Wayne Van Zandt and he was a Vietnam vet and he knew a lot of Vietnam vets and him and Larry put me in touch with dozens of guys. If I had questions, I could talk to them. And that was the most rewarding part of doing the book was getting to hear these amazing stories. Most of which I couldn't use in a comics code. comic. Sure. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's funny you ask about that because I just finished a, a Vietnam graphic novel. Really? And, uh, my editor on it said, there's nothing from any of the movies. There's no cliches from the movies. Yeah. And I said, it's because all of, I said, almost all of this graphic novel is based on conversations I had with vets. I'm really looking forward to that coming out, Chuck. Is that something that'll be coming out like next year or <clears throat> later this yeah, year? Yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll, it'll probably be out uh, probably spring of next year. Man, that sounds awesome. I was going to ask, my next question was, did you have a lot of letters from vets, but you had even more than that. You had direct, you know, contact with them, which is great. Oh yeah, just amazing. So, and, and the most amazing thing is how none of them could agree on anything. Sure. Um, because the war was so long, the nature of it changed. If I if I asked a guy a question and he was there in '65, a guy who was there in '70 had an entirely different take on it. Yeah, no, uh, it's, it's, even yeah. even down to the nuts and bolts stuff. Wow, I was going to mention um, a specific story was the death of Joe Halland, which really got me. Um, it was a five parter. And Joe Hallen has a dark end in the story. He winds up going to Leavenworth after fighting some MPs. And I was wondering, mm-hmm. was that part of the appeal? Like, as well as connecting with these veterans, and, and you could also write some kind of realistic, unhappy endings in a big two title, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's a war book. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's going to have some unhappy endings. Um, That's it, man. Yeah. You know, for my, for my money, I'm no peacenik or anything else, but for my money, any great 
well, even decent war story is an anti-war story because, you know, if, unless you're some sort of psychopath, you yeah. shouldn't be loving war. Well, that's exactly, that's a very good point. And, and the Joe Howland story is based on, you know, guys I knew, you know, uh, uh, African-American guys I knew mm. who, who, you know, would come back on leave and in the neighborhood, they weren't, you know, they were like, why, why are you doing this? You, mm. know, I, you know, why are you going to war for the man? And then he said, you know, they couldn't understand. It's like, it's like you know, um, somebody once said that if if every strata of American society joined the military at the same percentage that Amer uh, Native Americans do, mm. uh, they would never have had to have a draft it's because you know Native Americans are more are as a, as a group more likely to join the service and go into combat. Mm, probably, and, and, yeah. and there's no more downtrodden group in this country. Well, I was thinking that could be why. That could be kind of why, like as well, like it's a it's a way out of uh, you know the poverty cycle or whatever. You know what I mean? I'm just well, it's also you know you can be you know kicked around and everything else, but still recognize you know this is a great country. I was going to say and, that as well. It's worth defending. Yeah, well, that's exactly right, Chuck. I mean, I had an idea. I mean, <clears throat> I hate to bring up, it's not really even politics, but leaving Afghanistan in the manner we did, I mean, it disgusted me, frankly. And I don't think there's anybody that didn't disgust me. Yeah, no, it actually left a very sour taste in my mouth. And I, I just thought to myself, because I was reading the NAM at the same time, and I was like, my God, someone who had the knowledge, so not me, because I'm no military expert, but someone who had the knowledge and could do, like, a comic book series about the whole involvement, like going over there, staying there, and eventually leaving, I think would be fascinating. You know what I mean? Like, and, um, I don't know, maybe maybe that's an idea for you, Chuck, to explore. I could see that in your wheelhouse. Yeah, I, I would I would like that. You know, I, I would like to say, I, I just wish our leadership had read some history books. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was reading a book recently about the British involvement in Afghanistan, and they basically did the same thing that yeah. we did. They... They, they, they fought for like 10 years uh, to keep this one guy out of power in Afghanistan and then ended up putting him back in power so they could get out of there. Wow. And it's exactly the same situation. And, and am I right in saying the Russians invaded at some point as well? Like they were involved in the 80s, I believe. Um... Yeah, well, they were involved a long time before the 80s. Uh, and this surprised me in reading this book. It was about what they called the Great Game, and it was um, the British versus the Russians in Afghanistan. Really? The British wanted to keep them out of Afghanistan because the Russians wanted India. Right. And, uh, and, and there was a number of times the Russians invaded India, I mean, as early as like 1820. Really? Wow. So... Yeah, and, but they couldn't get anywhere. By the, by the time they got anywhere to fight anybody, half of them were dead yes. from starvation <laughs> or, yeah. or, or, or other means. But, uh, but you know, every, every it was like every 10 years or so, Russia would invade Afghanistan and always fail. And, of course, in the 80s, it was their Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you, I'm sure we only know like a tiny portion of the money and lives that they probably spent on it as well because of the nature of the you know Soviet Union at the time. They weren't well, exactly it, definitely, it definitely played a big part in the fall of the Soviet Union. Crazy. See, this is the kind of stuff, man. Like, it's fascinating, and, and I think a lot of people, I mean, myself included, uh, are sort of ignorant to it. But when we when we left, because obviously a lot of Australians were over there as well. I mean, I, I yeah. just felt sick to my stomach. You know, frankly. Yeah. No. Yeah. It was the, it was horrible seeing the the, the images. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And how out of control it was, and how none of it had to happen that way. Exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. Um, now, on a lighter topic from my Afghanistan rant. Um, 
I think I'm. <laughs> I think I'm correct in saying. Let's, let's leave Afghanistan. Let's yeah. Let's actually. You know what? Let's just leave it. Um, <laughs> I think I'm correct in saying Don Daly was your editor on both the Nam and Punisher. Do you remember any funny stories of dealing with Don Daly? There were nothing but funny stories about dealing with Don. <laughs> Don was a trip. I loved Don. Uh, he had no interest in writing comics, which made him different from other editors. <laughs> and he would always challenge me. Um, one time he wanted me to write a story and I wasn't home. And this is back when you had to be home to get a phone call. <laughs> so, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, he, he talked to my wife and she said, well, I think he's at his friend's house visiting his friend. It was you know, the artist Flint Henry. And I was there. So Flint gets a phone call and he hands me the phone. He says, it's for you. And it's Don. And Don says, I, I have this artist and his wife just had a baby and he really needs money. And he's just starting out in the business and I need a Punisher story for him. And I said, well, let's talk tomorrow and I'll, I'll think of something. He goes, no, he says, I want to give him a story right now. He's standing here right now <laughs> waiting for a story. And so I said, okay, give me, give me five minutes and call me back at this number. And I got a legal pad and wrote out some ideas, <laughs> told Don the story over the phone. And he sent the guy home with like the first five pages of a story wow. and uh, it turned out to be a pretty good story. It's, it's set in the snow. Uh, uh, Punisher's trying to rescue a kidnapped little girl from a cabin. Uh, I'm familiar with the story, Chuck. It's a great one. The one that's on the bus yeah, and Doug, stuff. Dougie yeah. Braithwaite was the artist. Wow. So, and you came up with yeah. that like that just off the top, off the cuff. Well, it was just the opening, yeah. you know, Punisher in the snow, watching a cabin. I had no idea why he was watching the cabin. <laughs> <laughs> I had to figure all that out later. But um, another good one with Don was for a brief while, he was the editor of Savage Sword of Conan. Uh And uh, we were trying to find artists, reaching out to find different artists to draw Conan. And uh, he he said, what about this? And he named this artist. And Tim Toohey, his assistant editor, said, well, that guy's in prison now. (laughs) And Don's like, what's he in prison for? And and Tim says uh, he killed his wife with a hammer. Jesus. And, and Don, without, he wasn't trying to be funny. He was just being Don. He said, damn, he would have been a great artist for Conan. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he was in tune with his uh, you know, primal side. Yeah. Yeah, he was a bit of a barbarian. So. <laughs> yeah. Now, speaking of Punisher, um, you you guys uh, in the Punisher office predated actually Garth Ennis um, by bringing Frank Castle to Nam. Now, obviously, Frank Castle was a Vietnam veteran, like in the backstory of the character. Um, right. Did you come up with the idea to to bring him in? Like, what was the impetus to say, you know, what this 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 we can actually bring Frank Castle into the into the Nam comic? I, I think it was Don's idea to pump up sales of the Nam. I I didn't write the, the first arc mm. of Punisher Nam. Uh, I did write the second one. But yeah, that was his idea, you know, and basically fill in the backstory of, of what he was like as a Marine. Did, did it work? Because I enjoy the stories a lot. Did, did, did... Oh, the sales, sales bumped up. Yeah. People people love seeing Punisher thrown into different environments. Yeah, I'm uh, it, Punisher's a character that always sold better when he was in someone else's book than in his own. That's crazy. Because uh, people like to see him mixing it up. Yeah, he's, yeah. He, you know, he's, he's a holy crap character. You know, it's like, holy crap, it's the Punisher. Yeah. He's in this story. Yeah. Well, yeah, he makes it interesting as soon as he arrives. Like, where, especially especially back then when you guys were doing it. I mean, it was it was solid gold. Now Marvel are just running away from the concept. Like, Punisher, what Punisher? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, his association with the American military and the American police it gives them the willies. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> now, I mean, you you might find this amusing. Many years ago, Marvel did a competition 
Uh, it was like a writer's competition, and I was a young guy, and I thought, you know, I'll have a spin at this. And I wrote, Chuck, it was embarrassing, but I wrote a, a Punisher story with him in Vietnam, Frank Castle leaving on the last flight out of Saigon, pumping uh, machine gun fire out of a helicopter taking from the embassy roof. That was how it opened. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I still think to myself, it's a good story. Like, you know, at a time, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's better than... Uh, that's a good story. It's better than most pitch stories. Don had a whole drawer of what he called the ultimate Punisher story, and and it and the funny thing was, it was they were all the same story. Really? Oh, that's <laughs> uh, Punisher accidentally kills a kid through stray bullets and quits being the Punisher. Oh Jesus! And and Don says, and he and he says, what do you think of that? And I said, they don't know anything about the Punisher. They don't understand the character. That he would quit over something like that. You know, this is a war. There's collateral yeah. damage. Ex- but uh, but, exactly but right. the, some of the top names in the business pitched this story without knowing that you know twenty other guys had done it before them. That's crazy. I mean, I remember um, one of those those two cool for school online articles, like from the AV Club or something. They had a quote where they said. When Punisher put on a bandana and went to Desert Storm, away went the characterization, and I just so disagreed with it. I was almost, I was, I was like, because I'm of the opposite mindset. And if I was writing Punisher, I'd be putting Frank in plenty of hot spots like Iraq, Afghanistan, downtown LA, you know, like how you guys did back in the day. Like, I don't understand like the characterization. He's Punisher. He he eliminates bad guys. That's it. Yeah, I, I can't tell you what during Hurricane Katrina here in in New Orleans, I I was I wanted to write a Punisher story so bad of the yeah. Punisher in the middle of that hurricane. Yeah, you know, yeah. using using the idea that there's no law in New Orleans now. There, there's effectively the police are gone, mm. uh, and him getting in there to basically settle some scores. That'd be because uh, awesome. there's no one to stop him. I mean, I did a I did a thing called uh, Fortress Miami when I was on Punisher. And it was in the middle of the cocaine wars in Miami uh, in the 80s mm. uh, and 90s. And um, in the story, I wanted the governor of Florida to declare martial law in Miami. Yeah. And the, my editor wouldn't let me do it. It was Carl Potts was editing at the time. He mm. wouldn't let me do it because he said, that's ridiculous. That could never happen. Six months later, <laughs> the governor suggested, you know, martial law in, in Miami to shut wow. down the cocaine wars. Because it was that bad. Yeah. yeah, but I'm like, this is a comic book. I mean, that's yeah. not that crazy. I was going to say, like, I mean, come on. I, I love Carl Potts, but come on, Carl. It's a comic book. Yeah. <laughs> like... yeah, this is a universe where, you know, giant aliens show up from outer space <laughs> to eat the planet. I mean, come on. That's okay, but martial law, that's a step too far. Um, <laughs> now, Rich, you had some questions about Medal of Honor? Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Chuck, just uh, if you want to give uh, uh, a quick... Breakdown of I believe the the Medal of Honor is something that you do in it's done by the military, and is it supposed to be a, a book or a graphic novel about people that have received the Medal of Honor and like their stories? Yeah, it's it's a it's a series of comics and they're web comics, um, but they do put them on paper for their convention every year. I just got the latest batch. Um, it's a web comic. They're eight page stories. It's done for the Association for the United States Army, which is a uh, non-government organization that supports uh, members of the of the United States Army. And all of the Medal of Honor winners are United States Army. They're not Marines or Navy or Air Force mm. or anything else. Because uh, I'd love to get some of the Marines. Oh. But um, uh, I, I don't know how my name came up with the guy who runs the program, but but he had heard that I would do the homework. 
and uh, he provides all the research material, and then it's looked over by historians. But if you go to um, AUSA.com, I think it's AUSA, it might be .org or whatever, yeah. but look for AUSA Medal of Honor. Um, you can read them for free. On, and on that, that must be something very rewarding to work on, I would imagine. It's it, it's really great to delve into the stories as much because I've they send me the official papers, the official documents. Mm. Uh, so I get to read a mountain of stuff for these little eight-page stories. And um, it's just awe-inspiring. I can't believe some of these guys are like Roy Benavides in Vietnam. The guy was a superhuman. How did he do what he did and survive? And, of course, my first question when they brought it up was, I, I want to do Audie Murphy and I want to do Tom Custer, uh, uh, George Armstrong Custer's brother. Wow. And uh, I got to do Audie, and in this new batch they're proposing, Tom Custer will be in it. So I'm, I'm excited to, you know, to do that. But, yeah, it's, it's an honor to do these things. It's, it's just simply amazing uh, what these guys accomplished. And it's a challenge for the artists because um, I've gotten a couple of artist friends of mine involved in it. And one of them said, what did you do to me? It's eight-page story. It takes, you know, it's, it's yeah. so detailed. And every panel is an establishment shot because the, the stories move so quickly. Yeah. Wow. Now, I mean, see, I, I find this very interesting because I, I myself have uh, uh, a, a deep passion for military-based stuff. It's probably something I inherited from my father. I'm just curious. Uh, what is, like, how did your affinity for this sort of come about? You know what I mean? Like, what what happened in your life or, or what lit this passion in you for like the military well i mean growing up uh every dad in my neighborhood served uh mm. in world war ii and you know they would sit on the front steps and have a few beers in the summer and start talking about the one thing they all had in common you know they had been had been to war and uh, my my own dad was a bombardier on a b-17 over europe and, um, you know, they wouldn't tell stories about, you know, they would talk about basic training and, and getting drunk and <laughs> they would never talk about combat, mm. but still I'm like hanging on every word yeah. because these guys to me were heroes and they were, yeah. they were heroes Hell yeah. because of what they had gone through. And then they come home and they raise families and they're mowing the lawn and, and paying the mortgage, you know, and everything else, yeah. you know, uh, they're just, you know, average guys, but they had had these extraordinary experiences. And from there, I would just, as I grew up, and I still continue to do this, I will pester anybody who's been into a war zone with questions. I mean, I still do it today with, you know, Iraq and Afghan, yeah. you know, people coming back from there. You know, what was it like? What was this? How was this? You know, what, what, what did it smell like? What did it look like? You know, uh, what were special problems you had that, you know, people might not have known about? You know, so it's how I find out about the the clinging greasy dust that they have in, in Afghanistan, you know, things like that. And then, and then learning the language of how they talk to one another. Mm. And, and I've had a number of vets tell me that they'll read my stuff, you know, my, my seal team six novels or bad time novels. And they'd say, that's exactly the way we talked. And I said, well, it's only because I've listened to so many of you guys, you know, I've sort of tried to really tried hard to capture that. That's cool. But, but, but that, but, but, that's where it comes from, you know, just, you know, hearing about World War Two from but but it must also be difficult because I, I know a lot of them don't even like to even talk about or even brag about stuff that they've actually even done. It, uh, I mean, how do you do you find that you got to coax it out of them sometimes or? Well, the ones the ones that brag 
generally didn't see a thing. Yeah. Because <laughs> the ones who actually went through, I mean, I did not know. My dad used to tell stories, especially if he had a few drinks, yeah. about stuff he saw as on a B-17. And and he would say, well, this this happened to this guy I knew, and this other thing happened to this other guy I knew. After he died, we found out that other guy he knew was him. Right. Mm. Uh, that all those things had happened to him. He had seen those things. And it just horrific mm. things. I mean, yeah. you can't even imagine. But I he know, wouldn't. I, he would I, I, never I, say I did this or it was me. He would say this buddy I knew. Yeah, I had the, I had that same experience. My grandfather was actually a POW in World War II and escaped and, and fled and with a fake passport got to Switzerland and all that to come on the way back. And I didn't know about that until after he died. <laughs> well, uh, well, yeah, we found out my dad had gotten a special citation because um, he was a high school dropout, but he was a mechanical genius. And when they first started having him work with the Norden bomb site, which was after the atomic bomb was America's greatest secret, how mm -hmm. the Norden bomb site worked. And the first time, few times he worked with it in training, he says, you know, there's a couple of mechanical things you could do to this bomb site to make it more accurate. Right. So his commanding officer said, well, draw, you know, write it down and draw up whatever changes you would make. They sent it to the, you know, Army Air Corps and they came back and said, you know what? He's right. Oh, wow. That's, wow. That's, <laughs> so they made, they changed the way the Norden bomb site was manufactured to make it amazing. more accurate that's because crazy. of what my high school dropout dad suggested. <laughs> well, God bless him. You know, God bless him. And, and it is. I mean, you think about what these guys did and, and what they still do. And like, I know I was watching, um, oh God, sometimes I was watching Born on the Fourth of July and just as I was watching it, I, I just felt so much sadness for what these people sometimes go through. And unfortunately, it happens now. You still get people talking about um, Afghanistan and Iraq vets like they, you know, they just assume nothing happened. It's like just because you don't get the full bloody story on the news, you know, you don't know what they what's going on for them, you know, kind of thing. Like there's there's, there's so much stuff that, that that goes on that we don't hear about, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I talked to Sean Parnell a couple of times on the phone. He led the outlaw platoon in Afghanistan, mm. and uh, you know, this guy's not a self-aggrandizer boaster. You know, but the stuff he told me, you know, that he, he couldn't even put in his book was amazing. And, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, how much time do you get to spend with these guys yeah. before they open up? Yeah. And uh, I worked as a dishwasher when I was in high school. Uh -huh. And the guy who washed dishes with me was just back from Vietnam, 1st Marine Division. Right. And he told me quite a bit because we spent hours together yeah. Yeah, at, yeah, at this yeah. boring job. And yeah. you just talk about everything. And he never talked about the combat directly. He would talk all around the combat. And sure. whoa, whoa. The st I mean, the stories are just freaking amazing. So, something I always think, and, and I mean, I've never been near this kind of stuff. Um, I always wonder how they know who to shoot at sometimes, like how they don't shoot their own people more often. Because if everyone's running around, uh, you, you know, in these firefights, it must get insane. Like the, the amount of discipline they must have at times. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, it, it's not yeah, obvious. to not just go, you know, Rambo twenty four hours a well, day. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, for even yeah, exactly. Like even just in a rush of blood to think, you know, to to have that moment where you have to say enemy uh, or you know um, colleague, you know, and and the difference between it, making those snap decisions in in those pressure moments. I think there's a lot of a lot of interesting stuff there that you could you could dig into um, about them. Now, moving away from <coughs> me talking about what I don't know, which is military, um, 
I'd be useless in a in a combat truck. I would try hard, but I would die very quickly. I'm very sure. Um, well, when, when, yeah. when we had the draft here, the thing that scared me most was boot camp. Yeah. You know, would would I make it through? It's just like a it's like a <laughs> six week long gym class. <laughs> yeah. I, I I right now with my bad knee and bad back, I know I wouldn't make it through. I, I'd actually say, you know what, guys, you don't really want me over there, like. <laughs> Cannon fodder, yeah, definitely. You know, <laughs> like we're struggling if you're sending me. Um, now, I know. Um, I just want to wrap up on Punisher. And now, slowly, Marvel are finally republishing the '80s and '90s Punisher, Chuck, and and they certainly do take their time getting to your stuff, but they are getting there. Um, but yeah. I want to say um, that countdown arc um, that that you wrapped up the Punisher titles with. That's been out of print for years. I honestly think that that's one of the best showings of the character. You broke Trank down to total basics by placing him in that room solo at the end. Um, yeah. And I, I just kept, I, I always, when I, when I read that, I'm just like, I don't know if anyone's done that better. Um, did you see Frank as sort of very close to suicidal? Was it fun to push him all the way to it, almost like an end point? Yeah, because at that point, his the sales he had three monthlies, and oh. the sales were collapsing on all three of them. Right. And and Don Daly was just pushing. Let's just go hard toward this is the end of his story. Mm. Uh, it, uh, let's just assume he's never going to come back and yeah. have his own book again. And uh, that's where we went with it because you know it it, it you know I, I hate to say dark because people purposely write dark, but that's sure. where it had to go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with Frank, because he is, he is, you know, he, he's got some problems. He's got a few issues, Chuck. I'd agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, like, if they put that out now, I honestly think that would be a bestseller in Punisher fans, and I think it's a crime. That I mean, Marvel are, as I say, slowly getting there, but too yeah. slowly for my liking. But the epic collections are coming out now, and they've been getting through. Uh, Mike's run, and I know your run is they're, they're sort of on the very fringes of it now. So I think they're starting to right. print some of your graphic novels, like um. Uh, what's that one called? Uh, Kingdom Gone, I think it's called. Yeah, I yeah, that was that. included in the last epic. Yeah, yeah, it's a great story, yeah. Chuck. It's a great one. But um, did you know, by the way, while we're talking about social media, Mike Barron has once again been banned. I am so yes. annoyed. Like, <laughs> but like, he's the nicest, funniest guy, and it's like, well, who keeps banning him for? I almost made a joke that he was being bad for bad puns because you know he's quite the punster. Yes, he is. He, yeah, yeah, he got he got banned for showing a picture of empty hospital beds in Norway. Really? Like, yeah. It's like why? I mean, I don't even understand why that's a crime. Like in, on Facebook. Like, but anyway, it's it just sums up the it sums up the just the idiocy of the whole thing. You know, like um, the the Mike Barron is banned for empty hospital beds and possibly bad jokes it could be one of his friends it could be one of his friends going you know what we've had enough jokes for today mike <laughs> now well, consequently i hear from him by email more often <laughs> oh that's good well, i'm glad um yeah now rich you've got some questions about green arrow yes uh now don't worry chuck uh I, I know the record so i won't be throwing you under the bus okay uh, like some other people do um uh, I, I am curious, like, um, I, I know at the time you were sort of brought onto the book, DC were going through that whole transitional, you know, replacing all the characters. Right. Uh, uh, did you, now, you have been, you've been, you know, obviously people have said you killed him off, which we, we know the story behind that. Originally, he was supposed to lose the arm and then they 
uh, who was it, Levitz, I think, maybe? Yeah, said, Levitz just, said, let's just, just, kill, just him. kill him. Right. So uh, I'm just curious, did... I know, uh, I know the the Hal Jordan fans were very outraged <laughs> at the replacement of Hal Jordan. Did you get any um, uh, heat off the readers as what the sort of Hal, uh, the Green Lantern books did, or did maybe Green Arrow not have that many fans <laughs> to harass you? Well, it it it. Um, <clears throat> I, I was surprisingly, I didn't get that much of a of a backlash about killing Oliver Queen. Mm. Um, at that point, I think comic fans were exhausted because so mm. many characters have been killed and brought back that they, they just didn't buy it. You know, okay, he's dead, so what? You know, mm. he'll be back. Which, you know, of course, they're right. You know, very few comic characters die and never come back. You know, what do we have? The original Captain, the Marvel's Captain Marvel and, and Uncle Ben. That's <laughs> right. yeah, the yeah. only characters that remain dead. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Kents. You know, <laughs> oh, well, they, they keep dying and I'm dying. They're they're back and forth. You can, it's hard to keep up with them. Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. true. But but it, it's um yeah it, yeah it didn't make as big an impact. I mean, sales wise, it was huge for yeah. us. Yeah, cool. now uh, now speaking of um the that you actually have I think created uh in that process a very underrated character in Connor Hawk. Which um, I, I actually quite in, in enjoyed, um, and obviously fantastic artwork by DiMaggio. Um, uh, what happened with that? Like, were you brought on specifically to create that character? What was your inspiration for the character? And uh, is it a shame? Do you think that he's pretty much just disappeared from DC well, Comics altogether? Yeah, I mean, I, I, they, he didn't. You know, they didn't use him enough. You know, to his full advantage. I, I didn't create him. Kelly Puckett created him, okay. and I was brought on the book because Kelly, although he's one of the greatest guys ever to write a comic, uh, is not terribly prolific and couldn't keep up with a monthly. Uh -huh. mm. And so they brought me on, and to, I was a placeholder. You know, could you write this for a while until we find someone else? And I, you know, they didn't look very hard because I wrote the book for three years. And I only left because they, they were signing me another book and I'm like, I can't do everything. So yeah. I've got to leave Green Arrow to do this other book. Um, so, yeah, but I liked Connor Hawk and I did everything I could to make him nuanced and, you know, give him a reason to exist uh, other than just being Ollie Queen's son. Well, there you go. See, you were on the book for so long that I literally didn't even realize that you didn't create the character. Yeah, Kelly. I, I just, I've just yeah, he did like five issues, and then I came on. Yeah. yeah, he introduced him and did like five issues, and then I came on in the middle of the story. So, and did you enjoy your time on that book? I mean, was it a yeah. character that you enjoyed sort of delving into? I mean, is it, it would have been a bit of a blank slate for you. Yeah, yeah, I love doing him. I I, I liked writing Ollie. Uh, you know, uh, I liked the Eddie Fires relationship. Yes. Uh, and and I like the adventure aspects of it all. And and you know, helping not not to create a character, but to build on what had come before. When you know, a lot of it was unknown. You know, about his, you know, what was it like? Why was he raised in the monastery? Who was his mother? Mm -hmm. You know, all that kind of stuff that I had to I had to fill in. But yeah. I'd, I, I dug it a lot. I, I and, and like you said, it's, it's a shame the character isn't around anymore because he had his own thing. He wasn't just, you know, Green Lantern, uh, Green Arrow Junior. Yeah, yeah, he was kind of his own guy. Like he was the monk. He, yeah, no, he was he was cool, and I really liked that relationship, as you said, with Eddie Eddie, the sort of older guy with the mustache. He was cool. Yeah, mm. yeah, and then I I like playing with the idea that he was never going to be as good a bowman as his dad. 
uh, and that he went more into the martial arts end of it. Yeah. Hmm. Now, uh, Chuck, I, I've got a question for you. I mean, you've written, obviously, solo books. You've written group books. What uh, What do you say? Uh, do you prefer the solo books or uh, do you prefer the, uh, the group books? Because some writers prefer groups and others just prefer solo. And um, I'm just curious, do you have a preference? Well, groups are easier to write, actually, because um, <laughs> somebody asked Bernard Cornwell once, what do you do when you have a writer's block? And he says, I just have the French army show up. <laughs> uh, so in a group book, you know, if you're like, well, I can just do a couple pages with this character, a couple pages with this character. Obviously, it all has to come together, but it gives you an opportunity to, um, you know, uh, explore. So, so is more, that a tip for the writers so out there? If you're not sure what to do, just bring in another character. Well, or you know, revisit <laughs> this character. You know, or you know what, you know what. It's like when you um, the thing about particularly like Justice League and things like that. Mm. You know, the pairing off of characters that you normally wouldn't think of as being together, mm -hmm. and that make that's interesting. It's like it's like a mini crossover within the yeah. book. Yeah. Mm. I remember Chuck, um, your Batman and the Outsiders. You you had a, a small run on that in the in the mid two thousands. I think it was excellent. Um, yeah, I, do you remember much about that experience? Because um, that was one of your later DC experiences. Were you did you have plans to keep going with that? Because I was hooked, man, on that one. I, I had so many plans to keep going that when they they fired me off of Outsiders and uh, Robin at the same time because I came uh, back for a short run on Robin. Yeah, and. When they fired me, uh, I, when they hired me, I just started doing what I do. I started writing. Yeah. I wrote, 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 wrote. When they fired me, they still had $30,000 they had paid me for scripts that they never produced. Oh, well, at least, they, at least they paid you. The money's in the bank account. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. yeah, exactly. But, you know, because I, I had long-term plans. I had the whole, like, first year and a half of Outsiders written. It's a really – I'd actually – like, honestly, you know, one thing we do on the show is, is sometimes – we highlight certain runs. I actually think that's a really good one for writers to, to look at and sort of look at to see the nuances of a group book because it had a varied cast of people, like the Batgirl at the time, like it was, I believe Metamorpho was there, obviously Batman was there, yeah. and you got a lot of stuff going, and I was hooked, and I was devastated to find out that, that you'd been let go because I was like, who made this decision? Like, it's just crazy, the, the, the sort of office politics at times. They, they shoot themselves in the foot at times, Chuck, you know? Well, the politics were so dense. I, I, to this day, do not know why I was fired. They never articulated. And my editor told me that he was um, he was forbidden to tell me, explain to me why I had been fired. Jesus. Which you know, that's a bit weird. That's it's a bit weird. off. Well, it, that that almost makes me think it's 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 almost personal. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 almost yeah. like it, there's that's a, that's a weird reason to get fired. Because um, yeah. normally they make it very clear. <laughs> Oh, yes. Yes, you suck. Yeah. There's no, normally you're like, okay, that's why. I understand. No, nobody likes you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you're just gone. Um, now, I have a question, Chuck. I don't know. Um, I mean, Superman is, is something that I've always uh, enjoyed. Without his, Batman's always been my number one by a long way. But I like Superman. I wanted to get your – we've done some Superman on the show. I wanted to get your comment on Superman dropping the American way from truth, justice, and the American way. Because for me, that's a dark day in comics. Do you agree? Yeah, it's idiotic. Yeah. It's idiotic. This is a guy I, – I understand from talking to people recently – and this, this question comes up a lot to me about Superman um, for somebody that hasn't written a lot of Superman. Sure. Um, 
but I've done a lot of thinking about Superman over the years. And, um, you know, they say, well, they're, they're leaning more into him being from Krypton. And he remembers his days on Krypton. He was a baby. He doesn't remember anything. <laughs> um, he was raised by, you know, two people from the American heartland, mm. you know, God fearing farm folk. Uh-huh. He's that's who he is. That's who he's going to be. He's never going to turn his back on, you yeah. know, the United States. He's always going to be an American, yeah. you know, whether you like that or not. He's always going to be an American. Totally agree. Like, which you know, is so weird that they were like, let's strike that from the record. I'm like, why? I don't even understand. Why, what, what's he going to go and fight for Russia now? Like, <laughs> Well, they're embarrassed by it because they're, they don't like America. Right. Um, oh, so it's kind of, of they're, so, they're self-critical of their own country kind of thing in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sick in a way because, Crazy. you know, um, yeah, we're getting all, I, I know, I'm sure you've heard of it. We're getting all this crap now taught in schools, but America was formulated as a racist country and built by slaves and all. It's like, this is nonsense. Yeah. This is not, we, we didn't land a man on the moon. Thanks to the fact that we had slavery. Yeah. You know, hundreds of years before. Come on, tell me a nation that doesn't have some blood on its hands at some point in history. You know, come on. Well, I mean, the origins of your own country. That's, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, Australia was convicts. Australia's grown so far beyond being a penal colony. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, we were originally convicts and and whatever else. I think the mistake they, they make is that I think real, genuine criticism comes out of love. Yes. Not, not hate. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, everybody's got a problem with their history, you know, because it's growing pains. It's it's evolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it, man. Like, I mean, what about what about um, like Vikings, like landing in England and like causing all sorts yeah, yeah. of havoc? <laughs> like what are Norway supposed to be like, you know, like, I don't know, you're banning ships or something like it's crazy. Um, now I, mean, I, I come yeah. I, I come from people who were they were Ulster Scots and they were brought to the United States in chains. Right. And they yeah. were brought here to the Carolinas and to Georgia. And because they were basically free slaves, mm. they had no value, dollar value. Mm. They were given the most dangerous jobs, you know, clearing swamps, things like that, mm. that they wouldn't give to African-American slaves because African-American slaves were expensive. You didn't waste them, mm. but they didn't mind wasting a bunch of Scotsmen. Mm-hmm. And that's the people I come from. So yeah. now, do I hate America because of that? Do I want reparations because of that? No, that happened in the past. We're yeah. all, like I said, Native Americans joined the American Armed Forces at a greater rate than any other segment of the population. Yeah, exactly. it's because they they understand. You understand, America is an idea. And it's yeah, an idea yeah. we all have to stand behind. It's not you. You can. You know, you can't move to Japan and become a Japanese. You can't move to France and become a Frenchman. No. You can come here from anywhere, and in two weeks you're an American. Yeah. Oh, I hear, man. I, I, it's good to hear same, someone talking like yeah. this. It's good to but hear someone talking like this. But you have to have a like job this. to go there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've got a here, fo- you just have, here you just have to show up. Show up. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Give me a green card. Where's, where's my money? Where's my medical care? <laughs> Yeah, I, I'll never forget when um, I took my girlfriend to Hawaii, went on that plane flight, and that's that's one thing. I love America. I love visiting, but the tipping is crazy, Chuck, and I don't know how you navigate it. Like, So I paid this guy, we paid, Rich, 500 bucks a head for a plane flight with other people, and I'm like, 500 bucks, that's enough. You know, we went up, he flew us around, and then at the end, I, I see people giving the tip, and I, and I said to myself, I'm never going to see this guy again in my life 
He didn't do anything spectacular. <laughs> and I just, and he went, and he went, you know, he looked at me with his hand out and I was like, thanks, mate. And I just kept walking. <laughs> well, I mean, Chuck can speak to this. Something I learned when I went to America was um, I learned a valuable lesson when I went to the bar and you, you get a tab. Yeah. Because every time you order a drink, if you don't have a tab, you've got to give the barman a dollar tip. Really? Right. Right. So what you do is you do a tab and then you just pay the tip. <laughs> Well, you know, if, if you go, to, if you ever go to New York, I mean, everybody's got their hand out there. You have to tip, yeah. you know, they open the door for you. They take you up in the elevator. No, I, I totally, <laughs> I, I totally agree, Chuck. And I mean, look, I've only ever been obviously as a tourist a, a couple of times, but it is an experience. And I think when you're a tourist too, they're more angling for you all the time. Um, yes. You know, because if you're they more see of a you local, coming, as yeah, we say. <laughs> exactly. Now I've got a, I've got a couple of follow up questions on Superman. So what about um, recently? the big thing was Superman revealing his identity to the world. Now, what's your take on that? Like, if you were writing the Superman title, what do you think? Is that an interesting story direction? No, because it changes the continuity forever. Mm. And and you can't do that. I, I mean, agree. people walking around, you know, they're not big comic fans or anything else. Yeah. There's things they know about these characters. Yeah. And they know that no one knows who Superman is. Mm. And, you, and you don't mess with that. It's like saying that, you know... He came from Cleveland instead of Krypton. Yeah. It's like, why would you change it? Stupid. And we used to talk a lot, at, particularly at DC, about secret identities because um, they would always work it so that the secret identity wasn't part of the story anymore. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, first of all, you know, with a character like Robin, uh, Tim Drake Robin, uh. the secret identity was an important thing because he had a dad. He went to school. He yeah. had places he had to be. Yeah, had a girlfriend, Bruce Wayne, Ariana. Bruce Wayne, that. it wasn't an issue. They could just say, well, Bruce is in Switzerland this weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, um, for Superman, I always said, you know, why would anybody wonder who Superman is? Why wouldn't you just assume he's Superman all the time? I agree. Why would, I agree. Because they didn't know he's from another planet, and, he, and he's striving to be part of humanity. Uh, so why wouldn't you just assume, you know, he's got a really cool place he lives in when we don't see him. Yeah. You know, and he's got to sleep sometime. And, and the same with Batman. Why would you say, well, who's Batman? You know, he's some guy who sleeps all day. You yeah. know, nobody knows who he is. Well, your first guess wouldn't be Bruce Wayne, in my opinion. Like it just Absolutely not. Yeah, Absolutely just, not. Why would why would Bruce Wayne, why would a guy like that waste his time? Yeah, it's like trying to think of someone like <laughs> plucking a name out of a hat, like Jeff Bezos being Batman. You know, it's 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 just, it wouldn't. Even his image as the playboy, it doesn't at all fit mesh with like this, you know, grizzled crime fighter. Well, let's, I mean, I, I think I agree with, with Chuck earlier. And I think that, I think a decision like that doesn't come out of storytelling or plot. It comes out of laziness. You just don't want to write the secret identity. Yeah. Well, they, they used to, every bat summit would end with the same question for me because I was the Robin guy. When are you going to kill Jack Drake, Robin's dad? And I was oh, like, yeah. when? You're assuming I'm ever going to kill him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like I like writing the secret identity stuff. It's a challenge, yeah. and that's what makes writing interesting is these stories. But he causes so many complications in the stories. I said, yeah, that they're called stories. Yeah, that's why it's a story. Yeah, <laughs> they exactly. have complications. <laughs> well, know, it's, d- yeah. d- d- I would have to just you know explain deconstructed plotting. I said, you know, you know what deconstructed plotting is because you do it all the time. Why why are you hassling me on this one aspect of it? Mm. It's funny because I, I saw a thing recently, and I, I don't even know who made this decision, but they made Tim Drake apparently bisexual. Now, I'm a big <laughs> LGBTQ you know, supporter, but even I, I was like, Tim Drake with the girlfriends and Ariana and Stephanie Brown and like 100 Issues by Chuck. 
I don't remember this ever coming up. You know, like it just. No, it was. Yeah. It, it's it's just a cynical marketing ploy. They it's they want to be mentioned right. on the nightly news here, and the, the 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 problem with that is. You know, when it got reported to the general medium, they go, Robin is gay. Yeah. And everybody's thinking Burt Ward. You know. Yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, yeah people are going, yeah. Cause, yeah, because like I said, people who aren't into comics but know stuff, mm. um, they don't know about Tim Drake. They don't know there's been three Robins or four Robins or five Robins. No. They, they know, they know the original. costume. They know the costume, and that's about it. And they know he's well, that was, exactly. that, was the, that was the same when they, they did uh, uh, Alan Scott as gay, but they just said no. it as Green Lantern is gay. Exactly. And everybody's thinking, oh, Ryan Reynolds, that guy in the movie. It's like, no, no. And it's like, why do you assume that the average person is going to know all of this comic, you know? Well, they, they do that on purpose. Oh, yeah. 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 And it, and the thing, you know, the thing is, you know, you want to stay away from anything like um, an alternate lifestyle for these characters, particularly Batman and Robin. Mm. You want to stay away because this is a this is a kid who hangs out with an adult man. It's true. You know, it's true. yeah, uh, unsupervised, yeah. and it's like, why would you even <laughs> introduce this element? You know, they don't it, think, it's ridiculous. Man. They don't think they're just thinking about like that tiny little bubble of attention they get for like one day, and there's just which results you know, in no increased sales. Yeah, no, no, no one rushes down to buy a Robin comic apart from about two people. You know, who are like. You know, we've yeah. got to buy that Robin comic, and they don't stick around for the next issue either. And I did like no. on Facebook though, on your on your message group, someone was like, um, "I feel so bad for Stephanie Brown," and then someone wrote, "I feel bad for Ariana," and I was like, "Me too," because <laughs> 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 like, I remember her. Their relationship was always a lot of fun. Now, I did want to mention, and, 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 yeah. and the scene where you know he he asked the guy for the date, or the guy asked him to go on a date, it's 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 really creepily drawn <clears throat> because they look like each other. Yeah. It's it's weird. It's I'm just, sure it is. You know, and, and and like I said, it's it's not done. People say, oh, it's political agenda. No, it's a cynical marketing. Yeah, it's not it's even a political bad. agenda because they're not helping anybody by doing this. No, they just they're, all they're trying to do is get in the news for five seconds and and yeah. get try to get some heat on the title or or on the character or whatever. And that's a character, by the way, that ever since Damien's been there, they've really struggled to know what to do with Chuck. Like I don't know if you followed it, but they've really like your run is the landmark and they have just bungled it ever since, you know, like, yeah. And the other thing is, is, you know, it's since a lot of these people making these decisions are not comic book lifers and they're yeah. traveling through to better jobs in their mind, you know, yeah. when they go to apply at MTV or New Yorker magazine, they can say, I made Robin gay. Yeah. And it's a resume enhancer for them. It's not, it, they don't even care yeah, they don't give a about shit. any of it. Yeah. Now, speaking of someone who did care, uh, Denny O'Neill um, has to go down as one of the greatest uh, writers and editors of his generation. Now, he's on record as saying Batman and Superman fundamentally don't belong together, but ironically wrote Werewolf of Krypton, one of the best Superman stories and Batman stories I've read. When you were on the ground at DC and working with Denny, did this kind of stuff come up in conversation? Did you ever get in deep with him over a lunch or a dinner about Batman and Superman's relationship and all that kind of stuff? Well, he... Um... I'm going to mention Kelly Puckett again. Mm. Uh, Danny was pretty much Kelly's mentor, and this would always come up. Right. Uh, he was uncomfortable with Superman and Batman being pals. Right. Danny was uncomfortable with any science fiction element introduced into Batman. Uh, he hated the characters Mr. Freeze. He hated Clayface. Really? Um, he didn't like these characters because they were science fiction-y. Right. And he didn't think they had a place. Man-Bat, uh, he was not a fan of. 
Wow. Uh, I mean, he's the one that when I said I want in a story I want to kill a villain, he goes, Mr. Freeze, kill Mr. Freeze. <laughs> Mr. Freeze. Put Mr. Freeze out of his misery, please. And then when I brought Mr. Freeze back, he was so angry with me. <laughs> That's funny. So was he more like he liked the Joker or people like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, like grounded yeah. people that could actually exist like Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's possible there could be a Batman. It's possible there could be a Joker or a Riddler sure, or a Catwoman. Sure. Yeah, okay. uh, but – but I mentioned Kelly because Kelly was um, cognizant of this because he had a lot of conversations with Denny about this. Mm. And he wrote one of the best stories ever about Dick Grayson first encountering Superman and basically getting to hang out with Superman for a while. That's cool. And, and when Dick Grayson gets back to the Batcave, he's talking about what an awesome guy Superman is. <laughs> and the story ends with Batman saying, but never forget, he's not human. I love and it. Yeah, that story resonated with me, and Denny loved it. He loved that story because it it put it, it put into just one sentence everything that he didn't like about Batman and Superman. Now another Batman Superman thing was when we were doing Nightfall, yeah. and a um, cataclysm, cataclysm, and Wayne Manor had been destroyed and obviously needed to be rebuilt. Uh-huh. And I'm a logistics guy. I said, how can you rebuild Wayne Manor on the same site? And the construction crew doesn't find the Batcave. Yeah. Nobody had an explanation for this. So I said, what if they rebuilt Wayne Manor on a concrete pad? And then one the next day when they came back to do the last few finishing touches, it was gone. And I said, and we just hint, and because I, I knew how Denny would go for this and he didn't, or would not go for it. I said, we just hint that Superman moved the manor and put it in place. Uh. And, cool. and Denny's, I hate, Denny's like, I hate that idea. <laughs> I said, I knew you would, but it's a great solution. It's a good said, solution. Read, yeah. Readers would go nuts. They would love that. They would. But he just had yeah. a he just had a thing about, like, he preferred realism, I guess, you know, realism in inverted commas, like in comics. Yeah, and, and the thing is, some of it grows out of the, uh, there was rivalries in the 70s at, right. at DC. Right where they would try to steal characters from each other and stuff like that. A lot of it, I think it went back. He was still sore about some of that. Sure. We, and we, we lost Nightwing to Teen Titans. And, yeah. and it was a struggle to get the character back into the Batman yeah. side of the street. Yeah, that's so. right. And, you, and then you, you had the long run on Nightwing, which is a fantastic yeah. run. Yeah. I had a question. Now, obviously, Chuck, I know you had a lot of career momentum already when Denny hired you for Batman, but did you learn a lot from working so closely with someone like Denny O'Neill, like just on a, on a sort of workmanship basis? Well, yeah, what's interesting is Denny said, Denny would always tell me, he, he says, I, we, I learned a lot from you. Yeah. And of course I learned a lot from him, but he yeah. says, I learned a lot from you because he didn't know how to deal with the whole image thing when yeah. the image style of comics came along. And we had a lot of discussions about that. And I said, well, there's a middle path between what image is doing and what we were doing before. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, to emphasize the art more and stuff like that. And he was he said that he, he learned a lot about, you know, a new way to write comics. That's good. But, you know, I learned I, I learned a lot about it. We, we, we would have a lot of discussions about yeah. things. And, and he he's the one that sent me to the Robert McKee story structure course and D.C. paid for it. He insisted because he said he wanted everybody on the everybody to have the same language when we talked about story structure. And McKee would provide that. Did you, and, uh, I, I've been on that course uh, myself. Yeah. Did, did you get a lot out of it? Um, yeah. Well, the thing is, I came back and I, he said, "What did you learn?" And I said, "Well, you know what? I didn't learn. I do not understand three act structure. I could. It's like mathematics to me. I couldn't yeah. figure it out." And then he said, "Well, you do it anyway, so don't worry about it. You already know how to do it. You just 
don't realize you're doing instinctive and uh but the 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 thing the thing that he said you know you can take away what you want i didn't i didn't agree with everything he said i knew better than to raise my hand though but uh i don't know if that happened to you it did uh one guy got shut down one guy got shut i remember yeah yeah, pity the poor person who asked the question. Yeah. And then pity, pity even more the next person to ask the question. But um, but the one thing I took away from it, he said the most important thing about any character is what they want. Uh, yeah. And that really, like, blew my mind. Like, whoa, yeah, that's right. And then, and then while he's saying it, my mind is running through, you know, Batman wants to do right by his dead parents. You know, Superman wants to be human. Yeah. You know, Peter Parker wants to make up for that terrible mistake that one night. You know, mm. uh, this is what they want. This is what they're after. Yeah, no, I think because I, I, st- I must admit, I, I bought the book as well. And I still every now and then, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll look over it because I think there's a lot of good stuff. I remember he he was saying guys like John Cleese, you know, guys, you know, who have, yeah. do- have done it all a million times right. over. Would every now and then turn up for the things because they just wanted to make sure that their scripts... They they hadn't they they, they they sort of hadn't made some obvious errors. They just wanted to hear it again, kind of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think it's like it's neat to hear someone articulating this stuff because he would talk about writing, and I never heard anybody talk about writing. Mm. And and then he was right. He provided like a language that we could all use, you know, because you're right, but you don't think of you don't put words. You don't think of phrases to describe what you're doing. You're just doing it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and you know, it, it, I mean, it was an interesting course, and the guy, the guy is a real character. Mm, so, yeah. oh, and, yeah, and the stories, sure. the anecdotes were were worth the price of admission. Well, it was also great. We got to watch. I don't know if you did uh, Casablanca as well, and yes. I'd only I'd only seen it once, and I was like, oh sweet, we're going to watch Casablanca. But then he was like, no, we're not going to watch it. Just like straight through, guys. No, we're going to no. you know cut, cut it all. It's going to take eight hours. <laughs> it's going to be eight hours of your time. I'm going to be grumpy if anyone talks. Right. Yeah, but but the thing is, you learn from that is that you know every scene has to serve at least two purposes. Exactly. You can't just have a scene do one thing. Yeah. 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 So it's got to enhance character, make you laugh, advance the plot line, you know, or all of the above. I I remember as well, that was where I learned the phrase inciting incident. I remember remember that. I was like, I'm going to remember this if I forget everything else. I remember inciting incident. Um, but, now, I, but I remember at one point he said that, you know, you need three or four acts. Uh, there's no good story that was written in two acts. And I'm thinking every samurai movie I've ever yeah. seen is two acts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they piss him off, act one. <laughs> he, he takes care of them all, act two. That's it, I know, exactly. <laughs> um, now, just wrapping up on this kind of Superman stuff, if, if I'd been editor-in-chief, I'm just thinking, looking at your body of work, I probably would have tapped you for a world's finest title. Is that something you would have been interested in if offered, like a Superman Batman team up title? Yeah, that would have been a lot of fun. I, um, uh, Graham and I proposed that actually in the early two thousands. Okay. Uh, Graham <clears throat> stopped doing comic strips and came back to comics. Um, but they, you know, we proposed that and proposed our own Brave and Bold. Oh, great they, idea! They, they shot us down on both of them, but yeah, that I, I would like writing that mix. Yeah, I, I just, really would. Uh, it's so weird that they back away from that. It's like surely that's one of your biggest things. You two of your biggest well, no, characters those are, together. Those are tough stories to write yeah. because the characters really don't go together. Yeah, yeah, uh, I know, but that's the challenge, isn't it? You know, that's it. That's that's the challenge. Well, you know, you know, just writing Superman alone is challenging, exactly. but then you mix in Batman, it makes it twice as challenging. But you know some great and interesting stories have come out of it. I mean, obviously they were 
flummoxed in the 60s because they would have all these imaginary tales about their sons. <laughs> they didn't know where to go with it either. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we did Saga of the Super Sons recently on the on the podcast, and that is a trip. Let me tell you. If, it is. If I, I wish Bob Haney was alive because I would love to get him on the show because he seemed to be my kind of guy. He was just wild with his imagination, like, you know. He yeah, just, he didn't give a damn about continuity. Yeah, he did. Well, <laughs> yep. yeah, but like, we, we I'm sort of like, out. I don't care. It's good fun, you know. <laughs> oh no, no, absolutely. I'm all for it. I'm all for you know the health continuity if it's a good story, yeah. unless you're going to ruin the character, obviously. But I remember as a kid, you know, you'd have your choice of what comics you wanted to buy, and the only times they picked up World Finest was when it was the the Suns. Yeah, no, they were so. cool. Now, Rich, you've got some Guy Gardner question. Yeah, so um, I've actually got some questions on some of your shorter runs, uh, yeah. Chuck. So um, you you were brought on to the Guy Gardner book for six issues. Yeah. Um, now, I think, I mean, obviously a lot of people's favorites, including mine, is Hal Jordan. But right below that is Guy Gardner. And I think, um, you know, the, the names that I think have made that character pop, uh, popular is obviously Sting, Steve Engelhardt, uh, uh, Demetrius, uh, and uh, Giffen, and... Um, Gerard Jones, but yeah. I also uh, give a lot of credit to you because you, in your six issues, did a four-part Guy Gardner year one. Were you were you brought on specifically to do that? Because I believe in that story, that's you, you kind of delve into more of his um, his young life and and yeah. basically, I, I guess give him give him a bit more nuanced reason for being such an asshole. Um, and, yeah, and the way he is, were you brought on specifically just for that? Yeah, Kevin, Kevin Zoli brought me on because um, they were very disappointed in the sales of the book. They thought it was going to be a bigger hit than it was, and it wasn't a hit at all. And sales were sliding. And um, he said, "What? What? You know, would you take the book on and basically give us Guy Gardner's background, explain why he is the person that he is?" Mm. And I thought, "Well, that's that's interesting." And for me. I wanted to do it. My my own personal reason is because, you know, they decided this guy was an enormous prick, mm-hmm. and the writers thought, well, since he's such an enormous prick, that means he must be a, a conservative politically, which I found offensive. You know, mm. and they were writing it from a viewpoint of someone who probably didn't even know a person who was conservative, who didn't have, they didn't know anybody who had views who differed from theirs. And I thought, well, I object to that that portrayal, mm-hmm. uh, and so I want to fix that. And that, that was the reason I took the book, that and, and working with Joe Staten. I, I just loved working with Joe Staten, which is why which is why I left the title, because they fired Joe Staten and didn't tell me. Jesus. Oh, oh I'm, yeah, writing, yeah. I'm writing issues for Joe Staten. And at one point I called Joe and said, look, I forgot to give you research on this. Let me fax you something. He goes, I'm not on that book anymore. I'm like, what? <laughs> Okay, and, and, and I'm curious, what was your, what was the inspiration for, you know, because uh, I mean, you you basically gave him the the abusive father, the the quote unquote perfect brother, you know, who, right. who the father loves more, um, you know, the the mother who sort of turns the eye. Like, what was the um, what was the genesis of of that as his his backstory? Well, I mean, when he was first introduced in the books. Um, you know, he was sort of the wannabe Green Lantern. You know, he got the Green Lantern, but maybe he wasn't quite worthy of it. And always jealous of Hal Jordan, because Hal Jordan was like the perfect guy, you know, test pilot, heroic, you know, good looking guy. Ladies and uh, Guy Gardner's kind of this punk who becomes uh, Green Lantern for a while. And I thought, well, you know, he didn't, you know, just arrive with that personality. Where did that come from? So I gave him a backstory that gave him a chip on his shoulder. 
and, and a little bit of a problem with his own self-esteem. Uh, so they always had to prove himself. He always had to be the toughest guy in, in the room and, and also didn't hold back uh, on his opinions. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I was so, I was, it's, it's sad to hear that the sale, I mean, I really enjoyed that title. I mean, I enjoyed the, um, the Jones run and I especially enjoy uh, the, the stuff that you brought to it. I mean, I, I did drop the book once they took away the yellow ring and made him that ridiculous warrior character with the chaps and all that sort of <laughs> With the tattoos? Stuff. Was that the tattoos? Yeah, like, yeah. First terrible, they put him yeah. in the chaps and then they get So sorry if that was you, Chuck. But it was, that was awful. No, no, that wasn't. That was, <laughs> that was, that was well after Chuck. It, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, a lot of that was inspired by Kevin. He wanted to change him to warrior. Cry Gardner yeah. Warrior. And uh yeah, I mean, um yeah, I forgot what I was gonna say about that. But <laughs> well, you are probably just gonna say it was a poor idea. It was it was not, not the wealth. It, it was a different direction that they, they were just desperate yeah. to get the sales back up. And I think the problem when they launched the title was is that um you can't write a book where you have contempt for the lead character. No, uh, that's yep, that is very true. And, 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 you know, they hated the idea that people loved Guy Gardner because they wanted mm. him to be kind of a villain and a mm. person not to admire. I know I use the example of Archie Bunker. You know, Archie Bunker was created to be hated by mm. the American TV audience. And we loved it because he was so <laughs> outspoken. And people loved Guy Gardner for all those reasons. He was brash and outspoken yeah. and a bit of a jerk. I mean, let's face it. James Bond is a bit of a jerk. That's yeah. why we love him. Yeah, well, I, th I, think, I think we're drawn to people who... You know, it just shows that I think people want to say more than what they actually do. And they'll always gravitate a character who can speak his mind or yeah. is free to speak his mind. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's fascinating stuff. Now, I've got another very short run, Chuck. You actually worked on a Star Wars book, yes. which I found very surprising. In fact, yes. I will, I'll be honest with you. I actually read the General Grievous uh, mini years ago, and I actually didn't realize that it was you <laughs> that had done it. Um, how what, how did that come about? Like, I mean, I mean, you're not exactly known for anything sort of Star Wars. I mean, how how were you brought on, and why were you not? Uh, why was that the only run you had with uh, General Grievous, or was with Star Wars in general? Well, I was I was a huge Star Wars fan, at least until the Ewoks showed up, and um, <laughs> uh, but it was a franchise I actively avoided. I had been asked to write it, and I said, look, you know. I, I like Batman, but I can't really enjoy anything Batman anymore because I write Batman. Yeah. Mm. You know, I can't enjoy anything Punisher because I write the Punisher. I, w I want a franchise that I don't have anything to do with, that I don't have to think about while I'm watching it. And, um, you know, Star Wars was it. And I kept saying, no, I, I'm not really interested. And then um, I was watching on Cartoon Network. They had those little short animated films. Yeah, those uh, vignette stuff and all that. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was watching with my kids. And this General Grievous shows up. Mm. I was like, God, this character is awesome. This is a great character. So when Dark Horse called me and said, would you want to write a Grievous miniseries? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that'd be, that would be a lot of fun. And to me, it was sort of like a sideshow. It was part of the Star Wars universe, but sort of a pocket off yeah. to one side. Because yeah. I wouldn't be writing, you know, Luke and Leah and Darth and all that. Because I, really mm. I really didn't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was a lot. Of, and then getting to work with Rick Lee and Artie. And, uh, yeah. and, they, and they were very hands off. The only thing they wouldn't let me do is when, when he's on that ice planet, I had it be Hoth. And they go, well, we haven't been the Hoth yet. And I said, <laughs> but you, you, in the continuity, no. You know, 
we Empire Strikes Back hasn't occurred yet, but the planet's there. Yeah, the planet's yeah. there. The ice <laughs> is there. The, those that creature that um, Luke Skywalker kills is there. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All because I, I wanted to get into all of that, and they're like, "No, it can't be Hoth." I'm like, "That makes no sense." But you're the boss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because this was written. I mean, I mean, fairly shortly after the the movie, right? Um, like it was like a couple of years after the movie. It was still fairly fresh because the cartoon show was kind of still that vignette show you were talking about. Because the right reason I ask is because in your book and also that vignette show that you're talking about, Grievous is an absolute badass. Like yeah. and you've also written him as a very competent, scary, you know, uh, uh, opponent. But later on, he kind of becomes a bit of a joke. Uh, he well, becomes almost a bit of a com comical character in the book. So that's why I'm just curious. Was this about maybe like two years after the movie or something like that? Well, actually, the movie was still in post-production when I was writing the miniseries. Right. Oh, okay. Because they told me going in that Gary Oldman was going to do the voice for General Grievous. Oh, that oh, turned oh. out not to be the case, that right. he didn't. He wasn't the one who did the voice. That would have been awesome. Yeah, well, that's when I was writing it. I'm hearing Gary Oldman in my head, sort of like asthmatic <laughs> Gary Oldman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, but yeah, it was yeah, it was it was still in post production. All the principal photographers finished. They were finishing up the effects and the soundtrack and everything at the time I was writing the miniseries. And you didn't want to write any more, or you just was that they never just offered one and me done? The Oh, yeah, okay. they never offered me the chance, and like I said, I didn't want to write about Luke and Laura and R2D2. Yeah. No, but I mean, I mean, I'm sure you could have enjoyed writing maybe General Grievous some more or some of the. Yeah, oh, I know. would have loved to have written like some Stormtrooper stuff. I mean, yeah, that well, would have been cool. right up my alley. But uh, you know what I always want, Chuck? I always want the Tie Fighter comic, uh, like yeah. based on the Tie Fighter pilots, because I've always think they're the coolest guys, and they don't get enough love. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we don't know anything about them. They're just sort of straw men. Yeah, and they're cool. They've got like that black, you know, uh, uniform they wear and stuff. Like it's one of the coolest yeah. outfits in Star Wars. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. What's that training like? Yeah, exactly. Um, now <laughs> we had um, some listener questions, and um, Super Cops is a cool book your fans made me aware of. I I read it in previously for this um interview, and I thought I'd take a little bit of RoboCop influence, Chuck, in the programming of the um. The cops. Do you remember doing this one for Now Comics? We've had listeners like Neil Matthews constantly asking if you had plans to continue this series, and do you know where the rights lie? Um, the rights still lie with Now Comics. Right. They, they did trademark it. Okay. Uh, we're, uh, Antarctic Press is redoing Alias, which I did for Now Comics, because yeah. I did a search and found out that they had never copyrighted any of that material. Right. And so, you know, we, we jumped in. Uh, <laughs> to yeah. take it back, is I, I was never paid for the None of us were paid for the final three issues, which were never published, because we would, we would never hand the artwork in. So it just seems right that we we have the rights now. Hundred percent. But um, but yeah, Super Cops. I don't I don't remember a lot about Super Cops. The one thing I remember is that I based there's a bad guy family, a, a dad and his three sons. Yes. And, uh, and I I based them on the Cartwrights from Bonanza. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's hilarious. I love Bonanza. It's, it's not evident in the comic, but I was yeah. like, I had to have a basis for these characters. Hoss, so. Hoss was one of them, yeah. Hoss and uh, yeah, I forget what the rest yeah. were. They're, they're the evil Cartwrights. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> did you have a Michael Langdon character? Yeah, I think I did. I think yeah. I did. I don't remember a lot about that. And that was all like, you know, they came up with the concept of these yeah. cops who were like cybernetically imprinted. It's funny because it's not the first time that people have asked me questions to ask you about super cops, and and like I'm like, okay, I'll I'll ask Chuck. I mean, you guys seem to really want it. Um, now yeah, it's Rich an odd, it's an oddity because it didn't run that long, yeah. but people do ask. Yeah. 
Now, Rich, you've got a question about a top 10? Yeah, uh, to, to, I'm just curious, Chuck. I just, uh, it's a question I had because every time, you know, you do a search of Chuck Dixon and people create their Chuck Dixon, you know, top 10 list and, and stuff, I, I, I can't help notice that it's, it's predominantly like Batman or Nightwing or Robin, you know, that and Bane that consists of their top 10. I'm just curious, for you, what do you consider some of your favorite stories, runs, or books that you are quite proud of and you think maybe some people are sleeping on and should add to their top 10 Chuck Dixon list? Um, well, number one for me is uh, an issue of the NOM, uh, NOM number 66. I, I think it's the best thing I've ever written. It still remains the, the, the story I'm most proud of. Okay. And um, it's about a Marine sniper who's basically getting back at his miserable past in Vietnam. Mm. He, he's one of those guys who uh, doesn't want to go home because uh, he's found the place that he can fulfill his uh, life's ambitions. But um, That is a good story. That's The Creep, isn't it, Chuck? Am I right? Yeah, The, the yeah. Creep. That's yeah. a good, yeah. good story. Yeah, I think I wrote that after I was audited by the IRS. And <laughs> I, wrote, I, wrote, I, I sat down and wrote the entire story in one issue because it involves tax men, tax collectors. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, another one, well, Winter World uh, is a highlight for me. Yeah. Jorge Zafino, post-apocalyptic uh, miniseries that I did. Great, great series. Um, you, you, another you, one you is Batman, but you had TV interest no, at some point, didn't you? In Winterworld, Chuck. At some yeah, point? yeah, yeah. I don't know what was going on there. They kept telling me, you know, hey, we're two weeks away from a deal. And yeah. you, when you when you work with the Hollywood people, you got to harden your heart, yeah. turn your heart to yeah. stone, because mm -hmm. most of those things just never happen. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but um, uh, another one, it's Batman related, but a lot of people don't even know it exists. Is uh, uh, Joker, the Devil's Advocate. Oh, yeah. um, graphic novel I did with the grand right, and a lot of people are like just discovering it now because I talk about it a lot on my my own channel it's so. a good story we, we've done that on the signal actually um Chuck back in the day it is a very very good story a lot of your um DC run from that period there's a lot of I think uh hidden highlights because you just did so much you know what I mean yeah yeah like, yeah I mean another one would be detective annual seven uh the pirate Batman oh yeah hell yeah <laughs> Dave's all on board for that. Dave loves his pirate Batman. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a big one for me. That's yeah. a big one for me. And so, you you had uh, a sequel, didn't you? That you didn't you, you you had some artwork and stuff for a sequel that didn't make a lot of day. Is that correct? Well, we did a ten page story in Batman Chronicles. It was all in splash pages and mm. and written as a sea shanty, yeah, <laughs> which I'm real happy. I'm really proud of it. Uh, same artist, Al Katana, so the art was gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, and then I wanted to do one with Bane. Right. And I thought, well, let let, let uh, Kike and I do one with Bane, and then you'll have enough for a pirate Batman trade paperback. But yeah. I could never interest them in it. That's crazy. Like, I mean, the, there's a meme, I think, that, like, you'll never be as cool as Batman unless you're pirate Batman. I'm pretty sure yeah. I've seen that meme. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. I've seen that. Uses the uses the cover art. Yeah, it's from, great. From like, it's, yeah. like, DC uh, kidding themselves that they didn't think pirate Batman was going to be a thing. You know, like... It's, well, it, they made a yeah. toy. They made a whole toy line out of it at Kenner. Yeah, it's crazy. Because yeah, um, I mean, yeah. it's like people want pirate Batman. Let's just keep going. Yeah, just just keep feeding them. Like you feed them enough Batman, it's not it's not like DC are very shy about their Batman like obsession. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> they're sort of like Batman, whatever. Uh, you know, pirate Batman was actually one of the best. And uh, Rich, you've got a question about an Expendables graphic novel. 
yes. Yeah, so uh, you you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone. Uh, you, you've had dealings with him, and he's yeah. interested in your stuff. Now, uh, I believe you co-wrote an Expendables graphic novel with Stallone, which right. was funded on Indiegogo. But I'm looking for some truth in this matter. I believe you were asked to help rewrite the Expendables two scripts. Yeah, but but you turned it down. Yeah, is it what was uh, what was the reason for not taking on the job? Was you, you, I mean, I'm assuming you're a fan of the Expendables movies. Yeah, well, well, Sly contacted me because I had written a, a Expendables prequel comic, uh, and I, I wrote it based on his screenplay, which is quite different than the finished film. Uh-huh. And he liked the way I captured each character's individual personality and the way they talked to each other. He liked how I I got what he was going for in the screenplay. Mm. Which, which he said, unfortunately, he couldn't have in the movie. He says, because I'm dealing with ex-wrestlers and they, they can't remember lines. <laughs> they couldn't remember the lines I wrote. So um, so he said, you know, we're doing Expendables 2. They, they hired a screenwriter. I'm not happy with it. Would you come in and do some rewrites with me? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So uh, the... They, they flew me out for a meeting. I met with Slide. I met with the producers. And it all seemed like a great meeting. And I found out later that every production meeting seems like a great meeting because <laughs> they don't tell you what's really on their mind. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah. And every production meeting goes exactly the same way. And uh, so I left thinking, okay, I, I, I've, I've got this deal. Uh, the only thing I had to do was go find an agent. Uh, so I talked to someone I knew who was in the film business. and said, I need an agent right now. And I called the agent and I said, um, you know, I got this deal set up. He goes, well, I don't know who you are. I don't know anything about it. I don't want to represent you. I don't know you. I said, look, the deal's in place. Sylvester Stallone asked for me. And he goes, what, what are you talking That never happens. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, it happened. I said, call around, find out. So he calls back and says, you, you know, you were right. The deal's made. I don't have to do anything. Yeah, come in. And I signed with this agency. And then the studio, they didn't want me. Right. So they they offered me this ridiculously low amount of money. I could literally make more money writing comics. Right. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. And I said, I, I'm not going to do that. And it wasn't enough money to get into the Writers Guild. So what's the point? Exactly. You know, um, so I, I had to say no. And, and Sly was, you know, very great about it. And the weird thing is, you don't think of Hollywood people like this. Sly never lost contact with me. He kept trying to find other work for me. Yeah. Uh, he got me work writing uh, web content for Lionsgate. He got me work uh, doing the dialogue for an Expendables uh, video game. And he still kept calling me. And every once in a while, he would just call me. to. T- he, he called me a few weeks ago to tell me he was relocating to Florida, that he was you know, going right. to be living in, in the same state I live in. And, um, so he, and, he, and he wanted to talk to me about Expendables 4. He's talked to me about two, three, and four each time we've had conversations about his reservations about the screenplay because I'm not in the business. Yeah, yeah. So mm. I'm not going to tell tales or anything like that. But yeah. he would say, you know, I'm I'm not happy with this, and what would you do? And I, cool. I love talking to him. The guy's an awesome story guy. Plus, we're both from Philadelphia. Yeah. So. Well, God, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, he's like Philadelphia's favorite son, isn't he? Like, uh, oh, absolutely. Son, yeah. And I, I even get the accent back. When, when I'm talking to him, I, love it. <laughs> I mean, to, to me, like in all honesty, this isn't the sliced line podcast, but I mean, I look at the guys' work, like uh, Rocky and Rambo. Just that is some yeah. of the most iconic stuff in in like you know the last thirty years. You know what I mean? Like, and then he's got all this other stuff like his Expendables. What I love about him as well is he 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 puts him. One thing I like about him is on the premiere he will announce the sequel. Like he's all a, he's yes. very business like, you know. Yes, he's a workaholic. What, what, what's amazing is that 
after working with him and talking to him about story and stuff like that, mm. I can look at his movies now and go, that was his idea. Uh, and then, and then I would look it up and it's confirmed. I mean, the ending of Nighthawks, that was him. And, right. and, and now that I'm watching it, knowing him, I'm like, yeah, he thought of that. And, uh, there's a scene in daylight. Oh, that, yeah. 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 Sly thought of this scene and then I read about it. Yeah. He, he's the one that thought about it and improvised it. Yeah. Did, what uh, did you think so of the scene in cliffhanger with the bats? Oh yeah. yeah he, he thought of that. He did. I wonder if he thought of the the opening of Cliffhanger as one of the darkest openings in. Oh yeah. <laughs> like it's like yeah. okay, we're going there. Um, what a setup! What yeah, a it's setup great. For the rest great. of the movie. It's great. I think it's a it's a classic. Um, what did you think of uh, Rambo: Last Blood? I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> most interesting about it is he had to film it in I think Portugal. Really. He <laughs> yeah. couldn't film it in Mexico. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he had talked to me about that uh, quite a few times because uh, he initially was going to set it in Southeast Asia. Right, which is decided, where no, the one before was, wasn't it? The one yeah, before, yeah, he would set it here in the United States. Okay. Uh, but he wanted to do something about uh, human trafficking. I thought it was a good idea, thought, man. And I liked the tunnels yeah. as well that he had. Yes, um, yes. That was a pretty cool idea. Um, now, moving away from our Sly, uh, you know, fandom... Um, and yeah, we all love Sly. We all love Sly. It's, uh, it's acknowledged. We all, we all love Rocky IV. He, he won the Cold War. We know that. Um, yeah. Now, uh, we did on the show um, just last week, actually, Predator versus Batman 3, which I had been saving up to do on the show. And can I say, Chuck, it's definitely the best of the Predator versus Batmans by some distance. Now, it's a solid Batman story just to start, and I'm drawn in, and then Predator appears, and it's like, oh, yeah. Now... Were you a predator head? Did you dig the movie franchise when you got you know to this to this uh, task? I love the predator. I proposed so many predator crossovers. They just basically told me to go away. Really? And and the only reason I got to do Batman Predator three was um, DC did a boo boo with me <laughs> that that basically robbed me of quite a bit of money. Right. Uh, it was a little flub there with okay. some credits and stuff. And they said, "How can we make it up to you?" And I said, I have a list of projects I want to do, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to do them. And uh, I said, they'll all be money makers. Mm. And Devil's Advocate was one of them. Yep. And Batman Predator Three was another. And they said, Oh no, Batman Predator. Oh, we got to deal with the legal department. And I said, Well, you're going to have to deal with them because that's, the, the, you know, I want to do all of these projects. Yeah. And so <clears throat> we did. We did it. I said, and it has to be with Rodolfo DiMaggio. Who was your Green Arrow artist as well, and he's fantastic. Yeah, well, when he came on Green Arrow, I said, stay with me for a year. I know this is like a B-tier title, uh-huh. and uh, because he wanted to do Batman. He wanted to do Punisher. Uh-huh. I said, and, and at the end of the year, we're going to do Batman Predator 3. I'm going to make it happen, because uh, he was into all of that. But yeah, I love the Predator. I love everything. I, I did... I suggested Predator Superman, Predator Sergeant Rock. I mean, yeah. Predator everybody. Well, why and, not? Uh, yeah, they're, they're all gold. Because the Predator, he's, I honestly think he's like Punisher. You put him in a storyline, he just causes havoc. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's, he's exactly. awesome. And you, you cross he's him a with holy Batman. Crap, he's a holy crap character. Yeah, now, <laughs> exactly. So at the end of um, the Predator 2 movie, my favorite part of the movie is where you see the alien skull as the trophy. Well, you're talking about crossovers. Did you ever try to get your hands on the Aliens versus Predator comics? Because that's something I think that is a, a gold mine. Yeah, I, I would have been interested in that, but I wasn't 
um, I don't know. I guess I wasn't in the right click or something. Yeah. I mean, I got to do a little bit of aliens here and there, but oh, I wasn't okay. in the click. To, yeah, I did a Superman aliens too. Oh, sweet. Yeah, and right. Okay. A, yeah. An aliens one shot called Pig. Okay. Yeah, no, it's just because it, it's like, I mean, what do you think of um, the movies they did? I don't think they really got it. You know what I mean? The movies could have been a lot better, the Aliens versus Predators, in my opinion. Well, the second one is horrible. I mean, it's one of the worst movies ever made. Uh, the first one is fun because it's, it's like a comic book. Yeah. You know, it's not, okay, this isn't seriously part of the canon or anything, but it's interesting. Sure. And and it, you know and it, it we all wanted to see the you know you want to see King Kong meets Godzilla you want to yeah, see the aliens yeah. fight the predators and so we got that you know we did get it we did get it I, I guess I just want more you know what I mean I want yeah. more violence I want I want more I almost think Chuck you're you're the storyteller here but I I've always thought to myself why don't they do a predator I, either comic book or movie with kind of more predator through his eyes a lot more you know because it's all like the last predator movie was appalling but like, oh. you know I, I, I am i the only one who thinks why not have a couple of predators and have them talking in their own language to each other and stuff like that working as a team that kind of thing I, you're talking about basically a, a predator movie without humans in it <laughs> well i don't know that would like, be good yeah, i'd like to see right. that i i think there's a, we need we need to maintain a little bit of mystery about the predators like yes. i never want to see their home world or anything yeah. like that but but i yeah i'd like to see a movie where you know, it, it, like take take a movie like Apocalypto where there's no English yes. spoken. Yes, and and we really don't know what they're saying to each other. And uh, do that movie. with Predator. Great I think movie. it'd be fascinating. It'd be like the opening twenty minutes of um, uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, yeah, I, I I would be on board for that. Yeah, the opening twenty minutes of Return of the Jedi are fantastic. Now, Rich, um, you uh, had a pitch for Predator versus Batman, which was so wild. I I want you to give it to Chuck and see what Chuck thinks. Yeah. Okay. So, so we. Uh, I've read all three of the the Batman v Predators, and um, one thing that just uh, I, I guess it I guess it bothers me, or I'm as disappointed by them, is that I would really love to see the Predator just like killing all of Batman's uh, rogues galley, right? Because it was actually your 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 story that gave me the idea where the Predators couldn't see uh, Mister Freeze, right? You know, and where like he would be like one of the lone survivors because <laughs> they just couldn't see him. But I would have loved to see like you know them go up against Bane or you know and just like taking him down and like even like Gordon and stuff. So, like I really just wanted a balls to the wall predator kills everyone in the Batman like universe, an Elseworlds, like yeah, an except Elseworlds. for Batman. Obviously, I mean Batman's going to win at the end of the day. But you know, just completely out of continuity, out of like in that is is that. Is that something that they would have just won't do because it's it's Batman and like they kind of wanted to feel like maybe it could happen in the Batman comics? I mean, because I kind of feel like they just, I mean, he kills a bunch of nobodies <laughs> in all three Batman yeah. um, uh, Predators, but I was just like, you know, with that freeze moment where he's killing the henchmen and they, I was just, I just clicked to me and I was like, man, I would have loved to have seen like Predator versus Bane and Joker and you know just Batman trying to figure out who's killing all of these rogues and. You know, he's—I don't know—is that something you would love to do? Like go that a, far with that? That's a great story. I mean, I would end it with Batman saving the Joker's life. Uh, but yeah, that—that's a—I mean, that's good. Yeah, because I—I always wanted to see him mixing it up with the villains. But when I read wrote three, I was like, but he would kill them. Yeah. And then I thought, well, he wouldn't be able to see Mister Freeze, 
So I can have him in there, and, and we know he's not going to get killed. Uh, but yeah, I, I would like. I think probably not do it. They don't seem to be into crossovers anymore, anyway. Yeah. So, uh, and it's a good idea, which is why they wouldn't want to do it. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to yeah. say, like, it, it, out of all the pitches we do, I, I was really impressed with Rich's pitch on that one. Now, no, that's, um, a, that's a cool. I would, I would want to read. I'd read that in a heartbeat. There you go, Rich. You've got a job. Go write that. Now, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, apparently, there's a new. I don't know if you're aware of this. There's a new Predator TV show placed at Hulu, Chuck, uh, set with Predator up against Native Americans on a hunt, I believe. And it's set like back in the Wild West or before the Wild West, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I believe that's a Hulu Hulu show. Who knows if it'll be any good or not. Now, we, we're moving to some audience questions. Uh, Michael Kellershim, I sometimes think Michael Kellershim, he stepped up to the plate, Chuck. He may be your next-door neighbour, these questions get so specific. <laughs> like, um, So I've got a few here. So his first one is, in 1992... What was the scene from Marvel and DC over the creation of Image Comics, and did they ever try to poach you into joining? So did Image ever approach you? No, Image Image was, they didn't like writers. Right. They, they didn't like office. editors, they didn't like writers. And uh, so they, they, they hired, like, their college roommates. Or, right, you know, yeah. Some guy they went skateboarding with once to, right. to, to write the comics. I got you. Okay, well, thank uh, you. But there was so, a panic. Yeah. There was a panic at both companies. Oh, uh, when it happened, yeah. Okay, of yeah. course. Yeah, and then I know they the, the whole the, the whole image crowd, they went to DC and they said, you know, give us Batman. Right. <laughs> and, wow. and DC's like, no, you're not getting man. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> <laughs> Go away. <laughs> Go away and create spawn and do your own thing. Um, yeah, yeah, create create your own like you know sort of uh, half-ass xeroxes of what you're doing at Marvel. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's Wolverine, but not quite Wolverine, but we'll call it something else. But, but, um, but, the, but the thing that they, the thing they didn't understand was when they were and I, I, I like a lot of those guys, sure, but they were kids. Sure. They were young. They yeah. didn't know what they were doing. They needed a writer to think about this stuff. Yeah. And what they didn't understand was when they were doing Spider-Man and Hulk and all these other things, there was there was all this history and all this resonance. You know, the readers cared about these characters and were engaged with these characters. Right. So when they created their own characters, they thought that was instantly just going to happen. Yeah. You know, oh, they'll love these as much as they like Spider-Man. No, because we've never seen this guy before. Yeah. And if you look at the first image comics, every single one of them ends with the same scene. The hero is surprised, or group of heroes are surprised by the appearance of their arch nemesis. Yeah. It's like, but we've never seen this guy before. <laughs> and they treated it like Dr. Doom just showed up, and readers are like, well, who's this guy? Who's this guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, one thing I do rate is how ballsy they were, though, at the time. Like, it yeah, was, yeah. Right, you know, yeah, but they had a lot of money. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, they, they literally had FU money. Yeah, exactly. So. So his second question, and I love this question, Chuck. It's you once said that as a child you punched a kid that liked the Batman '66 TV show, which I love, yeah. Chuck. As an adult, what act of violence would you commit on a person who said their favorite Batman was George Clooney? <laughs> there we go. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't get violent. I'd probably never speak to them again, or you know. Try to have them committed. And did, did you punch something. a kid who said he liked the Batman TV show? Is that on the I, record? I didn't, punch, I didn't punch him. I shoved him into a, a cloak closet, a right. coat closet, because okay. uh, he was wearing a Batman T-shirt. Right. And, uh, and, and because and it was too I, cheesy? Is that why, the show? No, I, I loved Batman. And when the show came on, I was so excited to see it. Yeah. And I'm watching the first episode. It's that Riddler episode with uh, uh, Jill St. John. Yeah. And it's the one where Batman does the Batusi. Ah, right. And, yeah. And... My parents were laughing at. Yeah. I thought my parents are laughing at Batman. Yeah, this is. And so you know, it's like it's like they they were laughing at Jesus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like this. 
So I decide I hate this show. Right. And it's not Batman. Yeah. And so my friend at school shows up and goes, look at my T-shirt. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> just shoved him in the coat I love I, it. I recently apologized to him after all these years. And he goes, I don't even remember you doing that. <laughs> Emotions are running high that day. Uh, oh, now, yeah, I saw red. I saw red. I don't, I'm not like that normally, but I was like, oh, you know. Richie, sacrilege. But, yeah, and did as time has gone by, and he, obviously it was his own piece of pop culture. Have you come to appreciate it for what it was, or you still? Oh, absolutely, it? absolutely. I love it now. I mean, you know, I wrote an essay for a book on it, and I I made lots of reference to the '66 show mm. when I was writing Batman that I had to hide because Denny hated the show so much. Right. Uh, my favorite is uh, when um, Batman, <laughs> Batman, and Robin are in the Batmobile, and Batman deploys a. Um, he basically does a bootleg turn. He just yanks on the emergency brake to turn around 180. <laughs> and I had Robin say, hey, next time warn a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I tell you, my favorite And I also part... I named the bridge in Gotham the Westward Bridge. And, and Denny never realized it was for Adam West and Burt Ward. I love it. So. And you, you, you got by Denny's uh, gaze on that. i tell you who I loved in that show was Julie Newmar playing Catwoman. She was just fantastic, really. She was seriously disturbing, especially watching it as a kid. Because, yeah. you know, I'm like, I'm like entering puberty. Sure. And I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. I, I know how I felt when I was watching it as yeah. a young man. <laughs> but the, the, she has the best scene of the entire series where she offers to join up with him. Yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna go straight, and we can fight crime together. And Batman says, "But what about Robin?" And she says, "We'll kill him." <laughs> <laughs> I, I still think that the uh, movie they did that's in I mean uh, the '66 movie um, was actually really kind of a fun film. You know, they did at the height of it all. Actually, that is yeah. one of the the best lines in the movie ever, which is some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> yeah, which which we worked into um, Night Nightwing Year One. Uh, and let's got Beatty's idea. We worked that line in there. I love it. Now you've got question three, Rich. Uh, oh, uh, so uh, I think this is still a this is still Michael Kellish. Michael Kellish, he's got a few. Yeah. yeah. So he's got uh, my sister Buffy asks of all the villains you have created, have any of them been based on a former boss? <laughs> well, if do you, if you remember Nightwing. Um, Tad, Tad Ryerstad, yes. he, he want to be Nightwing and Nightwing. He's, he's based yes. on he's based on Rob Liefeld. <laughs> oh wow! I can see actually. I can see that, Chuck. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> actually, now that you say it, now I can't unsee it. Yeah, I, I uh, when when I wrote Skywolf um, at, at Eclipse, uh, it, almost every word out of Skywolf's mouth was something my dad had said. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, I can't think of any I based on a boss. It'd be funny if you based Bane on like a boss. <laughs> it's no. like someone who just broke backs, like you know, <laughs> for, for discipline. <laughs> um, now we've got another question here. Uh, any chance of reviving the first comic series, Evangeline? What the church needs today is a nun who isn't afraid to drop a few bodies for the faith. I know Michael loves this series, by the way. <laughs> Um, well, Evangeline was creator-owned, right, and and then ended up at first, where we surrendered our ownership to them for uh, reasons I still don't understand. Right, and uh, when first fell apart, um, they brought in all kinds of investors to try to get them to survive, and 
And it was like that movie, The Producers. They 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 yes. offered everybody fifty percent. Right. Uh, so there's so many people that own Evangeline that they'll never be able to agree sure. on, you know, who makes all the money. And some so of this stuff, you must just happen. say it's it's too hard to even untangle the rights. Like the yeah. the IP just isn't like valuable enough to even untangle. You know, kind of. Thing, yeah, I think right? they I think they sold six hundred percent of it. So just, that you know that happened to Dean Martin. Dean Martin sold himself before he became famous. Uh, with uh, you know Jerry Lewis, he sold himself more than one hundred percent, like to oh. various different people, and then they had to sort of all untangle it when he made some serious money. Um, now another question. Oh, here, I did not know that. Yeah, it's in, it's in his biography. There's a really good biography called "Living High in the Dirty Business of Dreams." Um, it's in there somewhere. Um, wow. Now a uh, question here: Did your job working as an ice cream man inspire any comic stories? Also, what was your favorite flavor? Jesus. <laughs> well, yeah, we sold those prepackaged ice cream things. Right. Like, like, I assume old, this is like back in way back. Is he talking about like high school or like when you yeah, early? Yeah, I was just out of high school and and it was the seventies yeah. and there were no jobs. So yeah. two of my buddies and I said, you know, we can get this ice cream truck. I'd be uh, I'd be worried and, if this was like two weeks ago, Chuck. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, it, it, you know, you, you, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was a terrible job. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can imagine. Yeah. Do it. Um, now, I've got a, a question here from him, which I'm really keen to get your answer on. So in Robin issue 73, Robin waits for a helicopter escape out of Gotham at Grant Park, where the caption says, name for a Scots adventurer and anarchist who made millions in Western real estate. He left the money to the, build the park when he died. Shame he's not here now. He'd have appreciated the anarchy that surrounds it. Is this right. a meta Alan Grant reference on how No Man's Land was going? If so, that's very clever, Chuck. Yeah, that's a pretty obvious reference to Alan Grant. It's um, and Chuck, I know I've chatted with you before. We share a love of Judge Dredd, and obviously Alan Grant um was enormous on Judge Dredd and enormous on the Batman titles with you. Yeah. Um, such a respected writer who, is on top of his Batman, also did Lobo. Um, yeah. Was was he casually of editorial? changes or, or he had enough do you, like do you remember like your friends i assume so yeah he he was um when we went to bat summits he would do the least talking right. he was okay with what anybody was doing because he knew he was going to put it through his own lens yeah <laughs> anyway yeah. you know it was going to be an alan grant story no matter what he was told to write or asked to write yeah. Uh, so he was. I I, I love talking to Alan because you never knew what he was going to say. Sure. Because uh, we would get in political discussions, and I, and to this day I don't know his politics because he be he never. Um, so many people are lockstep. Like you know, I, yeah. I, I believe all this list of things. Yeah. Alan was all over the map. Yeah. Uh, what he believed, you know, and I, I assume this comes from you know, his own personal life experience. But it's funny that you mentioned me shoving the guy in the coat closet because uh, we had a similar moment. Alan and I, when I said that I, I liked the Stallone Dread movie, All right, he actually yeah. reached out and, and, and shoved me in the shoulder. Says, yeah. How can you say that? You're such a Dread fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, right. um, and of course he would have had a deep connection to the, because he wrote so much Judge Dread as well, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was offended by that movie, but I thought, it's you know, Mean Machine and yeah, all I that mean, stuff, yeah. it was just fun to look at. I agree. Know? I agree with you, but I can totally understand someone like I. Oh no, I, I love it yeah. as well. But gee, it must have been a lot of fun back in those days for you as someone who liked Judge Red to be working with someone like Alan Grant and both of you at the top of your craft doing Batman. A bit of like a dream come true. Yeah, and you know, I I want fanboy on him a few times yeah, because I, I just. And I, but I remember asking my my favorite Dread story 
I, I can't remember what it was about now. Here I am saying it's my favorite, but it was a story I really liked. <laughs> yeah. And I said, and I said, I like it. And I, it's not that different from the other stories, but I don't know why I like it so much. And he said, well, we wrote that one full script. Right. Uh, he said, Dredge usually written plot dialogue. Yeah. And I thought, well, why didn't you always do that? Yeah. Because the, just the deadlines yeah. wouldn't allow it. And John Wagner liked writing plot dialogue. Yeah, I guess it's so, worked for him, hasn't it? Like he's he's oh well, we, amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder, and, and do you remember? Like we're going back in time. I know that when we chatted to you before, you were sort of saying by no man's land by the end of that, you were sort of, you know, not out, but you were sort of a you felt a bit hemmed in. Was it similar with him? Like at a certain point, editorial just said we don't need you anymore, or did he say I'm going back to the UK? I've had enough of this. You know. Well, well, sales began to slide. Right. And. Um, they, they, they wanted the clean house. Right. Uh, the, and it was really strange because I had an outside office at that time because I had little kids and, mm-hmm. and I couldn't work at home. Um, so I, I got an outside office nearby. And this, this one day I didn't go in. And Scott Peterson kept calling me saying, when are you going into the office? When are you going into the office? And I'm like, I'm, I wasn't really going to go in today. And, and Well, maybe I'll go in later. And he says, go in now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I went into the office now and it was a fax waiting for me. Oh, no. The facts that fired me oh, and it fired Doug and fired Alan all at the same time. Really? And then immediately the, my office phone starts ringing and it's Doug mm. and he's so angry. Yeah. You know, Denny didn't have the balls to call us and fire us. And I said, he's Denny. Don't you understand? You worked with him longer than me. Right. He was never going to call you because right. he doesn't like confrontation. He doesn't like giving people bad news. Yeah. I said, I will. He says, well, I can't forgive him for it. And I said, well, I can because I've made an awful lot of money yeah. because Denny O'Neill hired me to write Batman. Yeah. So he gets a pass from me forever. Yeah, no, and, uh, uh, yeah. and Doug said, Doug said, come over with Alan and I. Come over to the dark side. He literally said that. <laughs> Let the hate flow through you, Chuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly. It was that moment. And, if, and then I found out later they didn't want to fire me. Right. But they didn't think it was fair to keep me on and fire the other two. Jesus. And they kept you on uh, the other Batman family titles that you were doing, like Robin and Nightwing for a period, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. Like, that would be – I didn't know that story, but that must have been a tough, tough day uh, for everyone involved, like for Denny, for you, for Alan, for Doug, all of you. Because like, that's, a, that's a passing of like one of the biggest moments in Batman from Nightfall through to then, you know? Yeah, and, and – the pity for me was is that we, we could have averted it. Mm. Um, I just think we went in the wrong direction after Nightfall. Mm. Uh, I think if we had built on Nightfall. I, I thought Cataclysm and Contagion were, were, were terrible ideas. Yeah. You, and I yeah, said so said at the that. time. Yeah. yeah, and you were outvoted. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, inter- it's, it's interesting because in the, I'll tell you one thing it did do in the 90s. For a casual reader like me, I did like that there was this big, it felt like there was always big events happening just in Batman. So if you just stayed with Batman, you were getting a really big experience. But um, that's just as a casual, you know, reader. Like, you know what I mean? Like, not as a creative person. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the big events were great, but the, but they should have thought of different big events. Yeah, because, probably right, yeah. you know, Contagion and Cataclysm, Cataclysm was more of a Superman story. That would have been an awesome Superman story. The Earthquake, yeah. And... Um, um, Contagion, you know, what's Batman going to do against the virus? Yeah, yeah. It didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And, and then, um, 
you know, and then as we went into no man's land, you know, I was kind of, un I was no longer writing Batman. I was still in the offices, still writing yeah. Batman related characters. So they don't, didn't want me to be part of no man's land. Yeah. And I, I think part of that was, is I was such a logistics guy yeah. and they ignored, they ignored all kinds of oh, there's real lots of world loops. grounded yeah. stuff to make that no man's land happen. Yeah. The good thing and, is and they knew I would be in the room saying, well, that's idiotic. That's we can't stupid, do it that yeah. way. It's like the magical, I know you didn't do it, but you know how Batman um, sort of in almost off-panel land gets his back healed? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah it's kind of like, don't Well, the thing is, that, that was another instance when, when you know, Denny says, we're going to break his spine, break his back. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, how do you come back from that? Yeah. And I had a, a my sister-in-law's a, a, an intensive care nurse. Mm. So I asked her, and she said, well, he would have to be injected with this whatever mm. within hours of the injury. Or he'd be paralyzed for life. And so the issue after he gets his back broken, I work that into it. Because I'm always trying to think, you know, we have to be somewhat grounded in reality, particularly Batman. And then they, you know, they, they finish his healing with some holistic nonsense. Yeah, there was like some yoga teacher or something. I don't know yeah, what Yeah, yeah, Dr. Dr. Kinsolvy. That was a, a Doug Mensch creation. She just sort of makes him, you know, uh, mantra his way out of it. God, I wish she could do that for my hip. Um, yeah. <laughs> I need it right now. Um, yeah, but the good thing is, though, Chuck, all these years have passed. All of that stuff now is being reprinted so many times in trade payback, and they're now putting it all out in omnibuses. So regardless of your feelings, at least you're getting a check from royalties, I would hope, for all this stuff they're doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it, it does very well. They keep That's reformatting. Good. It's always in print. Just I just wish they'd pay us international royalties. They used well, to, and they yes. stopped doing it. Well, just before this call, you'll be happy to know I picked up a copy of Road to No Man's Land Omnibus, and I had by Chuck Dixon on the on the on the front cover, and I said, "Yeah, I'll I'll pick that up." So I hope he, Australia counts in your royalties. Is, is it only like non-English that you don't you're not getting the royalties from? No, no, we don't get anything from Australia I mean, really? unless you bought an American edition. We don't get. They used to do it. That's then they problem. stopped, and I think they no, they hoped we wouldn't notice. But I've been making a lot of noise about it recently because it's been over ten years, and it's, they owe us international royalties. It's because they're considerable. Because yeah. you know, I mean, Europe alone. I mean, I have work in Europe that's never been out of print. It's always in print in Europe. Yeah, so, and a character like Batman too. That's an international character. You know, that's not yeah. confined. Everyone you know above the age of like five knows who Batman is at some level. You know. Yeah, and royalties are, you know, they're just a tiny little percentage of the money they made off it. So yeah. it, it, it's, it, it doesn't hurt them to no. give us that cash. And, but the thing is, I can't get any freelancers to step out into the light with me because they're so afraid. Sure. Oh, D DC yeah. might not hire me again. As Well, they haven't hired you in 10 years. Yeah, yeah. No, I, it, it's, a, no it's frankly, for the record, I'll say it, it's appalling how the big two have treated creators, I think, for Decades upon decades, it's not a new thing. Well, and it got worse when they got bought out by big conglomerates. Yeah, it just it, it just got worse. That's terrible. Um, but you know, the good news, Chuck, is uh, I guess the the work is there, and I hope that some of this stuff moves around in your favour. Now, Rich, you've got a couple of questions before we wrap up. Yes. Uh, so, Chuck, uh, Chuck, one of my sort of final questions for the night is going to be. Um, if, if someone was to sort of look at your, especially in the comics, your your bibliography, you know, they're obviously going to notice a lot of, you know, Batman, Punisher, G.I. Joe, you know, you've done Cone and Lone Ranger. And, and then one can't help but notice that, you know, other than the small run here and there, you tend to basically work on books that are, uh, what's, what's the word, I guess, human-based, street-level, yeah. 
kind of thing. Is that like is that like a choice? Is I mean that's just because that's like that's your sweet spot. That's that's like where your your comfort is, or is it just almost like being typecast because of the success you've had on books like that? It, it's typecast. Um, you know, I, I've always tried not to be a specialist in comics. You know, not just do superheroes or not just do horror. I mean, I've done SpongeBob SquarePants. I've done yeah. You've done Simpsons as well. Simpsons, you know, because I love the medium. You know, I love the mm. characters, but I love the medium more. And uh, so, yeah, it's 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 typecasting because I, you know, I did some. I did a Green Lantern mini. I did you know Star Wars. I did Alien Legion. I did yes. you know yeah. I, I could do the cosmic stuff. Uh, well, uh, you as also well. you you worked at CrossGen as well, uh, which right. was again a little bit more um, out of your wheelhouse, as you would as you would put it, and all that, or what people yeah. would consider your wheelhouse, I guess. Um, so uh, that brings me to a question then, because I have a, a, a superpowered character in mind that I would have loved to have seen you work on, because it actually does tap into your um, uh, your skill and especially your affinity for military. But I would love to have seen you on a book, say like Captain Atom. Wow! Yeah, just, be, just yeah. because again, it, it's got the military angle, but it's also superpowered, you know, science and all that. What is a character? I know you, you might say Superman, so let's maybe take him off the table. What is a what is a, a character you would have who who is a superpowered character? You know, he's a little bit more larger than life, man or woman that you would have loved to have worked on or been offered to work on. I I, I would have liked to have taken a, a whack at the original Captain Marvel, Shazam, oh. uh, just as the challenge to try to capture um, what he was in his heyday. You know what he was what he was when he was outselling Superman. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yes, because yeah. they have they have struggled to to to, to recapture yeah. that for sure. Well, what yeah, I mean, also done they, is they, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know yeah. how to do it. But I'm not saying I could do it either, but I'd like to take a whack at and have a crack you know, it. It's yeah. tough because it's you know those stories are remembered as being simplistic and childish, but when you read them, they're so well constructed. Yeah. Mm. These stories were not written down to the reader. These guys sweated it to make this well, character appealing and interesting. Dave and I were actually having a laugh the other night because we were actually looking up Shazam, uh, Captain Marvel, and there was Hillbilly Marvel, Fat yes. Marvel, <laughs> Tall Marvel. Uncle Marvel, Marvel, remember the uncle? Yeah, like, I thought to myself, I remember Uncle Marvel and, and, and that, but I don't remember Hillbilly and, and Fat Marvel. And I was like, what? That's just like, I, I, yeah, they just didn't care about um, how silly it was. But as you said, the, the, but the stories themselves were actually, like, really good. Yeah, yeah. Once again, it was what's going to happen next. How's this going to end? I got to finish this story. I mean, and, you know, they're just so marvelously realized that I'd like the challenge to at least try, attempt to do, and, you know, and, and aim it at a younger audience. And, sure. and the thing is, with a younger audience, it's not like it's harder to write for a younger audience because they just care about story. Yep. You can't. Yep. I always say Quentin Tarantino could never write a children's book because you can't fool people with clever dialogue. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. Kids, and, kids yeah. won't buy it. It's like, what happens next? Well, what happens here? Come on, get, let's get the story moving. Well, I mean, Chuck, yeah. you you're doing the the Arkhaven Arctune stuff and all that, and I know you've got Altera Q and all that. But I mean, have you got any plans or or stuff to maybe work on a a super powered book or team in that world or anything? Well, I have a I have like a superhero parody. It's it's coming soon. I thought it was going to launch last week. I think it's going to launch this week. It's called My Sister Suprema. And it's um, about a kid who um, he's kind of a, a you know genius. And he he wants to be a superhero, and he creates this experiment to make himself a superhero. 
It doesn't work on him, but it works on his sister and his <laughs> older sister. And so he has to live his superhero fantasy vicariously through his older sister, who has no interest in being a superhero. So oh, it's a sibling rivalry. That's a good story. one. That's a good that's one, fantastic. Oh, God, I'm having, I'm having so I've, – I've wanted to do it for years. I finally found the right artist in Anthony Gonzalez-Clark. Yeah. And uh, he's just killing it. And this is on iTunes, is it? Coming, coming soon? Yeah, coming soon. It, it's up there on the page, but there's no episodes posted yet. All right. Yeah. And one thing I did appreciate, Chuck, is you didn't go with the DC brainwashing to call Captain Marvel Shazam because they're desperate to make everyone sort of forget that until about 10 years ago he was called Captain Marvel, you know? Yeah, that's just wrong. I, I hate just... I hate it. It's almost – it's very 1984, like 2 plus 2 equals 5. They're, like, they're just like well... – you know, I, I, I think I think to be fair for me, the reason I say Shazam is because I don't want people to think I'm talking about the Marvel exactly M- MCU yeah. Captain. No, I, I I know that, Rich, but I, I appreciate that Chuck does actually recall a time when we weren't. Uh, I I just loathe that when they they retcon it, but they also are like, oh no, we never called it Captain Marvel. I don't know what you're remembering there. Like, you know. <laughs> well, DC, DC was so stupid to let the uh, the the trademark uh, call. Now, Chuck. Yeah, been, yeah. Well, they yeah. were they were just you know. The whole thing was stupid, you know, driving, you know, Fawcett out of the comic book business and everything yeah. else with that idiotic lawsuit. It's crazy. You know, and, and a lawsuit yeah. they, they managed to win, which I think they would struggle with now with this sheer amount of, like, um, you know, superheroes and stuff. But I guess back then... And let's not forget that Captain Marvel Jr. was Elvis Presley's favorite hero and inspired the the, uh, the, the jumpsuit and the robes and all that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, I, th- I think the story was that Fawcett just got tired of dealing with it. Because right. uh, they had, you know, unlike DC, they had a big publishing empire with magazines and things right. like that. So they thought, well, let's just stop doing comics. And and comics at that time were under investigation by the United States Senate. And they just thought, let's just get rid of it. Let's Okay, you can have the character. You can, have, care you can have Captain Marvel. Now, Chuck, you've been a fantastic sport, and thank you so much. I just have a final question. It's a Bob Dylan question. Now, <laughs> okay. I remember you, because at the Seagull, we there were three things. Frank Sinatra... Bob Dylan and Elvis, we kind of keep them in very high esteem. And, I, and I'm always on the Newshound trail. Now, I believe you once told me that you saw Bob Dylan and the band live in the 70s. Do you remember that night at all? Like, was it a good show? Oh, yeah, it was awesome. Absolutely awesome. Because he, he did, the band came out, did a set. Mm. They did a set together. Dylan did an acoustic set on his own. Wow. And then the band came back for the close. It oh. was freaking incredible. And that would be so sweet. Like, I mean, the first Bob Dylan show I saw was in 92. It was my first ever concert. And it, my dad fell asleep. I'll never forget. <laughs> and and um, I was just, I was loving it so much. And people were like, oh, you can't understand him. I'm like, I could understand him. Like, he, he, yeah. I, I've, I've seen him 10 times. Uh, the last time I saw him, I was like two metres away. And I was like, this is amazing. Wow. Like, it's like watching history. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm like, absolutely. I just, yeah. Absolutely. I just, yeah. I mean, I, I, I you know, my Bob Dylan was one of those things that, that my wife can't understand why I like Bob Dylan so much. Sure. <laughs> and her opinion about Bob Dylan is his parents must have loved him. Because why would a guy like that pursue a singing career? <laughs> yeah, but it's it's about more than just his yeah. voice, isn't it? Like it's the how he writes and everything and you know his delivery. Well, I, I, I always say, look, you know, one of the biggest singers of all time was Louis Armstrong. Sure. So yeah. it's, it's, it's who you respond to. And, yeah. and he read, he touched people. Yeah. Even though he wasn't a singer, you know, uh, and you know Dylan tries to sing, but yeah. I don't care. I, oh. I love, I love the sound. Yeah, it's great. And I mean, wow, what a what a memory to see them, you know, basically in his prime with the band and everything. That must have been yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, 
Did you light yeah, one up? I think Chuck, a lot of concerts. Did, did you light one up? Did you light one up that night back in the seventies? I know I would have. No, yeah. I was not that. I wasn't that kind of person. I didn't. Th- I, I didn't not. think so, Chuck. And I, that's what I expected. But if I'd been there in the seventies, he might have. There might have been a little bit of puffing going on. Is all I'm saying. Oh, it was going on. I, I probably had a contact high, <laughs> yeah. but uh, no, I was not. I was not into that scene. Yeah, I. I the last. <laughs> time I saw him, I think it was 2020, it was or maybe 2019, just before the pandemic came to Australia, with my girlfriend we're walking through and the sheer amount of that smell, it took me like back to the 90s, I was like, I know that smell <laughs> yeah. yeah well it's everywhere now so, Yeah, it's crazy you know, it's, it's being legalised everywhere here Yeah. well Chuck, look, thank you so much for being such a good sport and for coming on Signal Doom, you're always a treasured guest and um I will put all these links up for everybody, but if there's anything you'd like to say to the audience and if you want to mention any of your stuff again, go for it, man. Just check out arkhaven.com and look at ArcTunes. It's a free digital comics website. I said free. doesn't cost you a thing. I, I promise you you'll find something there that you'll want to follow every week. And then also I got uh, my own Chuck Dixon YouTube where every week I answer questions from questions like this yeah. and, and go into a lot of depth about characterization and and stuff I've experienced in the comic industry. Well, Chuck, thank you so much, and you have a fantastic night. Thanks for having me. This is always fun, always a blast. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Chuck. Mm-hmm.